Ladies and gentlemen, the revolution. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterlife. Well, of never-ending happiness, you can always see the sun, day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, Dr. Welcome to the podcast formerly known as Cinephilia. This is episode number 1999. I'm Mr. McGee, and this is my co-host, Dr. Everything Will Be Alright. <laughs> I didn't know where we were going with that, but hello. Obviously. Not really, I'm Michael Ganny. And I'm Trevor, the artist formerly known as Trevor. <laughs> and uh, it's actually episode number 15, but I thought I'd do a little special intro. I get it. Might have been cooler to just pretend like it didn't happen and just keep moving on but i wanted it to be a surprise to you so but it was funny so it was fun so uh yeah that's um, if you haven't figured it out we're gonna be talking about prince today but uh we can talk about well we saw each other a few times in the last uh week yeah we sure have so we saw each other the day after um, the last time we recorded, we saw a movie, and we saw each other yesterday when we saw two movies, and we'll talk to, talk about that at the end. And then... Uh, we met each other in the alley uh, <laughs> last night. So that way we can run over somebody with a motorcycle and then uh, tell a drunk girl to get on and then try to uh, take advantage of her. Um, but yeah, I don't really have anything about the last episode because I haven't listened <clears throat> to it, but I also... I, I edited it, so... It's not an easy word to say. Edited it. Yeah. It's always strange. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have anything to say about the episode either. Cool. So let's talk about this movie. It's our first musical. And it's... uh I know I was going to say it's fitting to record this movie on my birth month, even though it's the 30th of June, because we're talking about a movie from 1984, the year I was born. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so, uh, but this movie did come out in July of 84, so. July 27th, 1984. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into the movie, oh, the and the, the soundtrack was released in June mm-hmm. of 84, just like me. So, speaking of 1984, we can uh, some of the events that happened that year where the original Macintosh computer was released uh, with a Super Bowl ad that's probably the most famous Super Bowl ad of all time, directed by Ridley Scott, which is uh, coincidental. Uh, the introductory price was $2,495, which is $7,000 today. Oh, my God. And it, uh, despite its fame, it's, uh, the original Macintosh was a failure and led to, his, led to the removal of of uh, Steve Jobs from Apple the next year. Also in 1984, the Summer Olympics were held in Los Angeles for the second time, the first time being 1932, and the third time will be in 2028. And the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue number one was first published. And by published, I mean the, uh, the two creators wrote it at their home 
and printed 3,000 copies using a tax refund and a loan from the family. And now an issue, I was looking for a number one first print issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, it'll set you back thirty to $50,000, which is Holy impressive shit. for an 80s comic. Very impressive. Uh, and other big things. I was born that year, but not only me, uh, LeBron James, Scarlett Johansson, Olivia Wilde, Avril Lavigne, Katy Perry, Mandy Moore, and Mark Zuckerberg, which reading that list makes me go, what have I been doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pop stars in there. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of pop stars. I'm uh, sad that you gave up on your dream to become no, a pop star. To be a hot female pop star? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Or a uh, tall, black basketball player yes because i said lebron but you are t- tall yeah so i could Daddy's have six four ladies and gentlemen maybe even six five <laughs> uh i feel like that's more of a ryan bosch thing about the height i'm the uh 30 miles away guy <laughs> 90 miles away 90 miles away that's right. you don't even know your own fucking quote what the f- yeah uh the okay so the cost of living uh, the average income per year was twenty one thousand six hundred dollars minimum wage was two dollars and thirty cents the average cost of a new house was eighty six thousand seven hundred and thirty dollars monthly rent was 350 uh the average cost of a new car was four thousand eight hundred and six dollars you want to take a guess at the average cost of gas in 1984, um, 79 cents. No, it's actually higher. It's a dollar ten, which is surprising because oh, this it, is Los Angeles, like Los Angeles, just in general, just average. Okay. Yeah. So and it's probably even higher in Los Angeles. Yeah, probably. And uh, movie tickets were two dollars and fifty cents back then, um, which is something I should bring up every week because we talk about movies. Do you want to guess what the number one uh, toy was for 1984? Um, I don't know, scooter. <laughs> it's funny because you keep mentioning toys we've already mentioned anytime I bring it up. Yeah. Uh, no, it uh, was a Cabbage Patch Kid. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and because of its popularity in the mid '80s, when because uh, well, I'm going to talk about video games here in a second. In 1984, was kind of this bridge between the the power or the popularity of Atari and Nintendo because 1983 was this big video game crash where everything except for uh, well, in America, everything except for computer games um, became like I don't know what I, the word I want to use, but they weren't popular anymore because it was uh, it w- the uh, market was uh, flooded with too many video games and too many bad video games, including the ET game and the bad Pac-Man game that came out for Atari tw- uh, 2600, and then and the ET game was. It- literally buried there's like a urban legend but it actually turned out to be true that they that game was such a bomb that they buried all the copies of it Mm -hmm. in the desert somewhere yeah and someone uncovered them right yeah there's a there's a documentary called game over that was available on xbox like just if you had an xbox subscription you can watch it Hmm. and that was like the way to see it which was weird but uh, nintendo was popular with donkey kong in the early 80s and then uh, they made their famicom uh, family computer is what, it's, what it stands for and that became popular in Japan because like I said Japan or just in America the crash happened in Japan uh, video games were still booming uh, the arcades were still going crazy and they decided to bring it to America and but they couldn't call it a video game so they called it the Nintendo Entertainment System and in order to get it into stores they had to um, they partnered with the makers of uh, the Cabbage Patch Kids which I believe is the Connecticut the Connecticut Leather Company, which uh, 
made Coleco. That's what Coleco stands for. Uh, they also did the Cabbage Patch Kids, if I remember correctly. And they said, so like they called big box companies and said, hey, in order to get a thousand Cabbage Patch Kids, you're going to have to take like 200 Nintendo Entertainment Systems. And they're like, fine. And then, you know, a few years later, suddenly the NES became one of the most popular toys of all time as well. So if we get to 1987, the answer is Nintendo Entertainment System. I'll try to remember that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of video games, the uh, the notable releases that year were Punch Out before Mike Tyson, 1942, Marble Madness, and Tetris. All games that later got ported to uh, Nintendo. So, the number one selling toy was Atari Cabbage Patch Kids. Oh, you already said that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll cut that you went out. through the whole fucking like 20 History. minute spiel of Nintendo though, I don't really... It's called a segue. Yes, and it that was, was quite a segue. Yes. 19 minutes long. But great, good information. I didn't know that about Famicom and um, Coleco, because I remember, I, I know the name ColecoVision. I don't mm. know what that is, but yeah. the name sounds familiar. Like Nabisco's National Biscuit Company mm-hmm. or Connecticut Le- Leather Company. Uh, for television, uh, the top five shows on TV were Family Ties, 60 Minutes, The Cosby Show, Dallas, and the number one show on television was Dynasty. Some of the uh, shows that made their debut in 1984 were The Cosby Show, Miami Vice, Transformers, Murder, She Wrote, Who's the Boss, Night Court, Jeopardy, Charles in Charge, Punky Brewster, and Muppet Babies. Uh, a few of the shows that were had their finales in 1984 were Captain Kangaroo, original, the original Fantasy Island, Happy Days, and Three's Company. Uh, movies, we're going to leave music for last for obvious reasons. Uh, the top five movies of 1984 were The Karate Kid, Gremlins, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Ghostbusters, which I was surprised wasn't number one, but uh, Beverly Hills Cop was number one. Wow. Yeah. Other notable film releases were Police Academy, Footloose, Romancing the Stone, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, Splash, which was the first Touchstone movie, Amadeus, which won Best Picture, This is Spinal Tap, The Terminator, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Paris, Texas, Sixteen Candles, Once Upon a Time in America, The Last Starfighter, Neverending Story, Dune, Repo Man, Blood Simple, Children of the Corn, Breaking the Natural, sound like a, that was one word, or one movie, Breaking the Natural, uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, Revenge of the Nerds, Red Dawn, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, Starman, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. I didn't know both of those movies came out the same year, <laughs> which shows you, because if you've watched the canon documentary, as mm-hmm. I know you have, they pushed that second movie out as quickly as, as possible, not even like giving it a full year to, to capitalize to, on yeah. the success of the first. And the second one apparently sucks. And they have that. Wait, isn't the second one where he has the beautiful swing where he tell uh, the scene where he tells him to sweep the front and he starts dancing with the broom? I don't know if that's the first one or the second one, but that's definitely one of like the only scene I remember. Hopefully, from either you can of them. put that clip in. Was he? Called? Well, I mean, if I put the clip in, it's just gonna be the music. Yeah, but at least the beginning where he's like, what's he tell him? Like he calls him like knucklehead sweep or something. Sweep the front, knucklehead, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to thank you for this award. It's the recognition of my peers that makes all those agonizing days of teaching ozone everything i know that hey i don't want to stay here all night do you award winners don't push brooms oh yeah why don't you go out and sweep man who do you think you are anyway fred astaire who just go on to sweep knucklehead the music's tight uh eventually maybe we'll get to that movie yeah (laughs) Uh, run out of ideas for movies (laughs) episode 3400 yeah uh one of the we have we've upgraded to three fans yeah (laughs) 
As far as music goes, I think 1984 is one of the greatest years in music history. Uh, the top five songs don't necessarily share uh, show that, but uh, starting at number five, we had Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, The Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham, Yes. I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder. Do you want to guess the number one song of 1984? The hint is, it's not Prince. I was going to say When Doves Cry. Yeah, that's what I thought it was too, but apparently it's not. Um, we Are the World by USA by Africa. Um, no, but... Uh, USA for Africa. <laughs> no. Uh, wasn't that one of your guesses before? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I might. That might be like 85 when it came out. But uh, no, it's uh, Careless Whisper by George oh, Michael. Yeah. Wow. So we had two number ones. Yeah. Uh, other popular songs. And this is a longer list than the one I just went off with movies. Yeah, let's, so. let's abbreviate it. Uh, nah. Uh, Against All Odds by Phil Collins, Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, Cruel Summer by Nanorama, Drive by The Cars, Footloose by Kenny Loggins, Forever Young by Alphaville, Ghostbusters, Ray Parker Jr., Here Comes the Rain Again by Eurythmics, I Feel for You by Shaka Khan, I Wanna Rock by Twisted, Twisted Sister, I Want to Break Free by Queen, I Want to Love... A lot of I wants yeah. for this. Well, it's in alphabetical order. Huh. I Want to Love what... I want to know what love is. I really ty- did a typo on that. By Foreigner, Jump by Van, Hel- uh, Van Halen, Jump by the Pointer Sisters, Karma Chameleon by Culture Club, Like a Virgin by Madonna, Panama by Van Halen, Pride in the Name of Love by U2, Radio Gaga by Queen, Rock You Like a Hurricane by The Scorpions, Sad Songs Say So Much by Elton John, Shout from Tears for Fears, S- uh, Sister Christian by Night Ranger, Smooth Operator by Sade, Somebody's... Is that how that's yeah Sade yeah Sade. Well, there's no yeah H and there's no like um, but there accent. is isn't there an accent mark above the E? Not the one I saw, but okay. I saw it on Wikipedia. So somebody's watching me by Rockwell, yeah, featuring Michael Jackson, of course. Uh, Some guys have all the luck by Rod Stewart. Summer of '69 by Brian Adams. Sunset or sorry. Sound like you're gonna say something. No. <laughs> Sunglasses at night by Corey Hart. We belong by Pat Benatar. We're not gonna take it by Twisted Sister. What's love got to do with it by Tina Turner? You spin me right round by Dead or Alive. Do they know it's Christmas by Band Aid? So that was close to the other thing. Mm-hmm. Last Christmas by Wham, and then of course, the Purple Rain album, with uh, hits like Let's Go Crazy, When Doves Cry, and Purple Rain, which I think this is one of the greatest albums of all time agreed okay um definitely one of my favorites of all time what are some of the others that you'd probably put on that list for context for uh, like favorite prince albums or just favorite albums of all time albums of all time and then prince we can talk about prince albums too Mm, well obviously bad is on there and i know everyone is going to be up in arms about the fact that i don't think thriller is his best album uh i think Dangerous is better than Thriller, mm-hmm. but I think for the connection that I had growing up to Bad, um, I put Bad number one, Dangerous number two, Thriller number three. Um, not of all time, but definitely, I, it's hard to rank like those musical ones. Um, the parentheses album by the band Cirrus or Sigur Ross, if you want to pronounce it like a white person. <laughs> um, Hello, dear wind by Paige France. Between the Heart and the Snaps by Receiving End of Sirens. Um, Let's get to abbreviated version. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, you just went on for 30 minutes and you're telling me to abbreviate. No, five. I'm making fun of you for okay. giving me shit. Fine. Um, <laughs> no, keep going. I don't. I, no, I, I don't. 
I wasn't prepared to think about that. So like just off the top of my head, those are the ones that um, come to mind. Yeah, it would have been better if I prepared you. Yeah, that's okay. Instead, I sideswiped you. And then uh, obviously, Purple Rain is on there. That's mm-hmm. my all-time favorite Prince album. Right. Um, Any other Prince albums that uh, of note? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, everyone says that Sign of the Times is like his best album. Like it's a masterpiece, and it is a masterpiece. But I think Purple Rain is better. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple songs on Sign of the Times that are kind of like whatever, like not filler, but it is a double album. So um, there are some songs that like could be skipped and purple rain is just like from beginning to end it's like a perfect album perfect blend of everything yeah there's not a wasted song on that album Mm -mm, not at all um i really like around the world in a day but again has some filler on it like god that just goes on and on um what about batman it's not really a Prince album, though. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not, and a lot of those songs. Well, we're gonna get into like a lot of like backstory about Prince in general, and just like little bits of trivia, not really related to um, Purple Rain. So we might stop and stop, go on little tangents, but which is fine. He already had like three or four of those songs written for other re- mm-hmm. uh, other. Because he's so fucking prolific with the songs that he writes. He just has, like, hundreds and hundreds of songs laying around. So he basically just, like, refitted songs that he had already written and put it... So, like, that song, Vicky Waiting, on the Batman album is actually... Mm. It was originally called Anna Waiting, which he wrote it for someone else. And Makes sense. Yeah. So um, a lot of the songs were just, like, reworked and put onto the album, which seems kind of, like... <laughs> I don't know. Cheap, I guess. Because he's not, like, writing songs, but... But I do love trust and um, um, not bad dance. Not bad dance. Party man. Party man. I was like, I, I know it. I heard it yesterday. I was listening. I was checking it out today because there was a song in this movie that I was like, that sounds like one of the Batman songs. Is it trust or, or is it uh, party man or is it the other one? Oh, trust. Okay, no. So okay. I don't know. We'll talk about that. Um, and since you asked, uh, some of my, <laughs> what I think are some of the greatest albums of all time are like you know. I'm a little more basic when it comes to that. So I have like Abbey Road and I have uh, Thriller and uh, Joshua Tree and Pet Sounds. I think the Door self-titled album is one of the greatest. Uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Oh, yeah. Marvin Gaye. Night at the Opera by Queen. Uh, and like Weezer's Blue Album, I think, is a great album. Sounds like you went through like Spin's top 100 albums of all time and you're like, oh, yeah, I like that one. That's cool. What's funny is like my dad posted. Uh, he probably re posted somebody else's like question of what are your 11 albums and so i had that in one of my note-taking apps so i just went back to that and just copied it and pasted it so probably back then yeah i did yeah. uh as far as prince goes i haven't i'm not a huge prince fan not like i don't like him but i just didn't grow up with him mm-hmm. like you seem to have no and that's the <clears throat> ironic thing is michael jackson 100 percent. yeah i did like i have home movies of me at like four and five years old like dancing along to you know um smooth criminal and stuff like that uh but prince i didn't really get into until i was like maybe like uh, maybe like 13 or 14 Mm -hmm. um and like i knew who he was but i didn't know any of his songs and then when i first heard purple rain i'm like oh my god i've heard like i would die for you like i've heard that song i had heard that song so many times like oh so this is prince and there are other songs like that that i didn't know were prince until then so I got into the Prince game pretty late, but um, definitely between him, Michael Jackson, and George Michael, like those are probably like my three favorite artists of all time. 
There you go. Yep. Um, you mentioned you mentioned earlier about Michael Jackson, your favorite albums of his. I think I think bad. I think his his albums. I think Thriller's probably his best. I mean, obviously, I put it on the list because uh, I am one of those basic people that feel that way. No, I don't think it's a basic thought. I was saying that most people agree and yeah. they would give me shit for thinking that bad is better or yeah. even dangerous is better than... Yeah, I mean, I don't think dangerous is bad, a bad album by any stretch of the imagination to use a pun, but uh, I, my favorite is actually Off the Wall. Yeah, I, I knew that you really liked Off the Wall, yeah. which is great. It's a fucking great disco album. Yeah. Word, what does Invincible rank, rank for you? <laughs> well, Invincible's like remixes and stuff like that. Like, it's not. It is? I thought it was a, a new album. Mm. Are you thinking his story? I think Invincible has remixes on it too. It might. But his story is like con- kind of a compilation, yeah. like completely. But Invincible had like remixes. Yeah. Um, I love um, that You Rock My World came out on Invincible, didn't it? Mm. The place I heard it was on that ultimate collection like five disc set yeah well let's see yeah it was on invincible okay i love that song that's yeah, one of my all-time too. favorite um michael jackson songs so i won't say that i don't like that album so speaking of michael jackson yes. uh prince no <laughs> but speaking of purple rain it's a technically it's it's literally a soundtrack and uh i never really think of it as a soundtrack because one i didn't watch purple rain until today and uh two it just when i think of soundtracks i i was we were talking a little bit about this in the car yesterday about how sometimes like when i think of soundtracks i think of music that was put together from older music to put into the movie kind of like guardians of the galaxy or baby driver versus like this where it's kind of like all new music for the movie but i guess that's the difference between a musical and just a, a movie mm-hmm. so unless it's a jukebox musical i don't know what that is it's like uh Mamma Mia or uh, Rock of Ages. Oh, where they sing along to like... Yeah, they sing songs that have been established. Like, yeah, where they actually sing it instead of just having it play. I kind of mentioned the idea of talking about some of our favorite soundtracks. Did you uh, think of any? Yeah, so the first ones that came to mind were um, definitely... The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yeah. The score for that. I don't... That's the, the score. The score. score is a little different. Well, I'm counting that because generally I don't pay really pay attention to scores. And that mm. was like one of the first where I was like, this is the most beautiful score I've ever like noticed in a movie. Um, I Okay. Well, then I don't know. Like the only one that I can think of now because the, I guess the other two are scores is um, Lost in Translation. Okay. Yeah. That... Oh, and then Romeo and Juliet, like both the, volumes Romeo of that. Romeo plus Juliet? Yeah, the Baz Luhrmann. That's like one of the best albums, like movie albums ever. It's like has so many good songs on it. And like all the artists on it are crazy. Yeah, I've never seen that. I started watching that movie. I just You've never seen it. that movie? No. Hold on, let me make a note here. <laughs> As you accidentally <laughs> stopped recording. Yeah, that's me typing ferociously. Um... Yeah, so like I mentioned Forrest Gump yesterday, and uh, it's like, oh yeah, that's a great soundtrack, but at the same time, because, because it's like some of the greatest songs ever, but at the same time, it's like someone mentioned that 
it's because Robert Zemeckis just goes, oh, they're in Vietnam, so let's put Fortunate Son by the most CCR stereotypical in there, songs yeah. on them. Hound Dog because it's the 50s and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I would have to knock off points, but if I'm talking Robert Zemeckis, Back to the Future is up there for me. But, you know, I'm a little biased in that sense. Uh, but then there's, you know, 500 Days of Summer, and like I said, the Guardians movies, and um, Guardians of Gra- Galaxy, and uh, Baby Driver are definitely up there, especially with how they use the music in those movies so mm-hmm. so yeah so we can talk about the reception of the movie now make it sound like i'm giving you permission oh well thank you so the consensus on this movie on rotten tomatoes the film currently has a 70 percent rating based on 56 reviews which seems very low yeah. uh, with an average rating of 6.39 out of 10 and the critical consensus reads that purple rain makes for undeniably uneven cinema but it's held together by its star's singular charisma not to mention a slew of classic songs on metacritic it has a score of 55 out of 100 indicating mixed or average reviews yeah that pretty much sums it up okay (laughs) not to give too much away um budget and all that yeah so or do you want me to guess the budget sure you can guess the budget i'm gonna go low again and i'm gonna say like eight million okay that's pretty good um the budget was actually 7.2 million do you want to close i'm like within like two million each time do you want to guess what it made worldwide well you you have said and i also read it uh, that this was the number one movie the weekend it came out or mm-hmm. at least around the time that uh when doves cry was a number one hit mm-hmm. so i'm gonna guess and say that this made some money back but this is also 80s money before batman um so i'm gonna say that in total 80 million Close 75 million dollars worldwide which so is good. huge return <laughs> on 7.5 million dollars yeah which i'm assuming uh, most of it went to prince I'm sure a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, music royalties and all that. Yeah. So, as Gaddy discussed, the release date of this movie was July 27th. So, this actually came out almost one month exactly after the album Purple Ring came out. So, we have a... uh, I have a little bit of information about everything that was going on during that time. So, obviously... Prince had the movie, had the album, had the single, and then had the tour, uh, the Purple Rain tour. All They were all called Purple Rain. So the album Purple Rain became uh, Prince's first album to reach number one on the Billboard 200. It spent 24 consecutive weeks on the Billboard and was present on the chart for a total of 122 weeks. That's a very long time. Yeah. Um, when Doves Crying Let's Go Crazy reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 while Purple Rain peaked at number two, which is unbelievable that yeah. it didn't make it to number one. How long is the song, though? So that's another thing that I want to get into is we can talk about it um, because it happens at the beginning of the movie, but I won't forget. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, uh, and, um, but one thing about purple rain and won the oscar for best original song yes it did and uh the song i would die for you peaked at number eight in may 1996 the album was certified 13 times platinum by the riaa um it stands at around total sales of 25 million copies making it one of the best-selling albums of all time um prince and the revolution won grammy awards for best rock vocal performance by a duo or group and best score soundtrack for visual media and like you just mentioned won the academy Award for Best Original Song Score for the song Purple Rain. Yeah, it's weird that they add the word score to that. Yeah. I was like, I wouldn't say that's a score. No. Um, So then the Purple Rain Tour, which was also number one for um, biggest ticket sales, 
It began in the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit in November 1984. In addition to Prince and the Revolution, the Purple Rain tour featured Apollonia 6, which is featured in Purple Rain, and Sheila E. Um, if you don't know who Sheila E. is, she's uh, a protege of Prince's. Um, she's an amazing drummer. Uh, she had her own group, but was featured on a lot of Prince's songs. Um, so most notably, she did... Um, oh my god. I love Bazaar with Prince. Um, and a lot of these songs, literally, since Prince is such a genius, um, he had all these like side groups and people that he would kind of take under his wing and basically write songs for them. So a lot of these bands, Maserati, The Time, Apollonia 6, Vanity 6. Um, what are some well-known songs that people think belong to other people that Prince actually had a hand in? Yeah, writing? so Prince wrote, and there's no hand in it, like he's the only one, like because yeah. he's such a perfectionist and he is a genius musically and otherwise creatively. Um, Manic Monday, I think the Bangles originally. Bananarama? Wait, no. Oh, Cruel Summer today. I was like, yeah. did I just say that? Oh yeah, it's Cruel Summer. Different um, he wrote that song, obviously. Um, like Nothing I Compares so. to You by Sinead O'Connor. He wrote that. Um, there's a lot of other songs and I can't... F- I know one specifically. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it. And when I hear it, it'll... Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of it right now. It's a MC Hammer song. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even know MC Hammer. We got to pray just to make it today. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't... I literally did not know yeah, that. Yeah, I found that. I was like, wait, Prince wrote that? The guy who wrote Darling Nikki wrote that song? <laughs> he also talked about how we need to pray? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, this is when he started to... Well, no, because Prince has always had... Um, Kevin Smith did a really great, um, if you've never heard it, I think we've talked about it before, where he talks about uh, working on a documentary with Prince, and he puts it really really succinctly, and I, I hope you can find the clip where he basically says that, like, Prince has always had, like, one foot into, like, um, kind of controversial things, so talking openly about sex and monogamy and, you know, saying bad words, and then still t- singing about God, so he's had lots of songs about God, and even on purple rain he sings about you know uh look up reach out to him on um let's go crazy and purple mm-hmm. rain like talks about the afterlife yeah there's he's always been very religious but also kind of controversial in the stuff that he said but then like as time went on he became less controversial less risque and more religious so um he was a devout jehovah's witness so over time he you know lost that controversial um side of himself yeah i mean his song's controversial yeah and like i don't know if you've ever seen like what he used to go on stage on when he was during the controversy album he would literally be wearing like uh bikini briefs and like thigh-high socks and like a coat and that's what he would play and then like you know it's there are, there are a few outfits in this movie where i was just like really that that's what you're gonna wear okay well, well if you go back in time like before then like in the late 70s when he was first coming out right and, like doing like controversy and dirty mind and stuff like that he was even more wild um so yes going back to what we were saying um prince is extremely prolific and has given many many people uh written songs for them and there's probably songs that he's written that we don't even know of that no one has like yeah. said anything and said like oh yeah prince wrote this and gave he, it to me he's written songs and made music videos that like full costumes sets actors that have never seen the light of day yes so there's um something that's always been talked about is like uh the vault 
and Prince literally has a vault in his estate or had past tense. Uh, I don't know if you know Prince is actually not with us anymore. Wait, what? <laughs> um so uh he has a vault of unreleased songs and some like actually one of my favorite songs by him is actually like a bootleg which means that it was never officially released in 1982 um it was released later but it's completely different and it's actually called extra lovable and it's like bless you god bless you the song is called extra lovable um he wrote it in 1982 and then he reworked it and re-released it but it's pretty um i don't want to say shocking because it's nothing like crazy but he does mention um wanting to rape someone in the song which is like very um interesting uh but it's a great song aside from that um but i can see why it never was released but then he redid it like later i think like in the 90s and stuff like that or in the 2000s and it they're all like there's three versions and they're all really good but the first one is my favorite and that is a song that was in the vault he like you said kevin smith talks about being in the vault doing this documentary for him which would never see the light of day um and he talks about it in the in the um, what is it one night with kevin smith it's one of those yeah anyways it's really great it's like 40 minutes long extremely detailed really funny so if you have the time i would highly suggest checking it out yeah because i'm definitely gonna put clips in but i i I doubt i'm gonna put the full thing because it's like 20 minutes of him talking about it it's longer it's like 30 or 40 it's like yeah it's really good though and very very interesting i collect my stuff and stephanie who was kind of my chaperone all week wasn't even there anymore and I said to her before she left, I was like, what do, I'm, this is the last day. What are we going to do? Am I cutting this thing? Is somebody else cutting it? She's like, they've been cutting it already. He used some of the footage at his show in St. Paul last night. I'm like, Get the, really? I mean, I, I feel so useless. Like, I'm sitting around trying to maintain my composure, and stuff's being already cut? I was like, that's great. So you'll have a cut of the documentary done, like, next week. And she's like, yeah, but I wouldn't count on seeing it, really. I was like, well, why? She's like, well... Frankly, a lot of this stuff never sees the light of day. And I was like, what, what do you mean stuff never sees the light of day? She's like, I'm his producer, right? I produce 50 music videos for him. I'm like, that's awesome, which ones? And she's like, you've never seen them. And I was like, how, how have I never seen them? She's like, because they're for songs you've never heard. And I was like, well, where are they? She's like, he puts them in a vault. And I was like, for what? And she's like, I don't know. I was like, when you say music videos, is it just him on stage playing? She's like, no, 50 fully produced music videos with costumes and sets and everything. She's gone, money was spent. And I was like, and they've never been seen on MTV or, or, or anything, BET, VH1? She's like, no, he just puts them in the vault. And I was like, what? Like, in case the fucking world goes up, we'll have entertainment? She's just like, that's just, just the way Prince is. And so I'm like, so all this time we're working on it, like nobody may have ever seen it? And she's like, I, I don't know, can't guarantee it. Back to the Purple Rain tour. Uh, the tour spanned 98 shows, ending in April 1985, and sold 1.7 million tickets. Uh, Prince and the Revolution played the final date of the tour to an audience of 55,000 in Miami's Orange Bowl. Prince ended the show saying, I have to go now. I don't know when I'll be back. I want you to know that God loves you. He loves us all. Two weeks after the end of the tour, Prince's next album, Around the World in a Day, was released, which officially brought an end to Prince's Purple Rain era. So let's just talk about that really quick. Have you ever listened to Around the World in a Day? 
No, I don't think so. So it is uh, pretty much a complete 180 from Purple Rain. Um, and I've heard interviews with people. Prince was so far ahead and just always thinking forward that when they were doing Purple Rain, like the tour, he was already over it. So he was already writing and recording new music. So two weeks after this tour ended, he released an album. So that shows you how much for foresight he had about doing a new album like mm. while they were recording it he was over it he wanted to continue to grow and you know mature as an artist and that album is has some amazing songs on it and one of my favorite songs is actually a b-side on that she's always in my hair but it has like pop life raspberry beret like mm. classic songs um the tour was considered by Rolling Stone as groundbreaking in many ways because it introduces Prince's most elaborate sets and featured occasional cameos from Bruce Springsteen and Madonna, which confirmed Prince's place as pop's most commanding star during the Purple Rain era. So what you're saying is he went from star to superstar. With yes, this is exactly, Rain. this is where he hit superstardom. Yeah. This is when he became a superstar. There you go. Let's get into it, shall we? Yes, so uh, I wanted. I talked about I think last week the idea of uh, talking about or what you think the movie is going to be, and before I watched the trailer because I did end up watching the trailer before writing this down that I thought it would be kind of more like Moonwalker. It had like the vignettes. Yes, and, and um, I explained to you that it's not yeah, that you did. Yeah, um, but I also thought maybe it maybe it did have a narrative and maybe Prince maybe like a vanity vanity project for Prince to make him look like he's like some kind of like God or superhero or something like that. Like so many uh, people do. Cause he obviously has an ego. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Probably more so than Michael Jackson. And then after I saw the trailer, I kind of assumed it was maybe more like the jazz singer about that idea of the, uh, he wants to be a musician, but his dad um, says that he shouldn't and he does, won't allow him to do it. And that's like the main struggle of the movie. But that as it turns out that it, that isn't, um, that it's actually about one of the dumbest women ever uh, has a tough time choosing between a Jehovah's Witness who almost ditches her after convincing her to jump into a lake topless or beautiful from the Player Haters Club. Was oh, that your is that your one minute elevator pitch for it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I was gonna ask about that. <laughs> yeah, because uh, as soon as I saw Morris uh, Morris Day Morris Day, I was just like, "This is a fucking Chappelle show sketch right here." <laughs> like, but that's the a, thing. That's what inspired yeah. the Chappelle show I'm, stuff. I, did you get all the references from the Chappelle show skit that he does? Like that is from this. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I should have actually watched it right afterwards, and I didn't. But uh, well, we can. We'll go through it. Trying to play computer blue. <laughs> Darling Picky. Um, so a little bit of backstory uh, behind the movie and how it got made. Um, following the releases, the release of Prince's masterpiece, 1999, I think 1999 is a masterpiece. That's probably, um, I would say that's my second favorite mm -hmm. Prince album. Uh, that came out in 1982. Uh, Prince confronted his then manager, Robert Cavallo, and told him that he would not renew his contract with him unless he got to star in a studio film. Um, there's actually a podcast, um, the only like official Prince podcast, where they actually did an interview with Robert Cavallo, and basically he said that he wants funding from a... What, the way he put it was like no Jews and no mobsters money like he wants backing from like a major motion picture studio mm -hmm. with like a producer whose name is going to be on like the billboard for it mm -hmm. um so every studio that they had met with rejected the premise of a musician-led film, uh, leading Cavallo to produce the film himself. Which is strange because 
this has happened many times before. I mean, the Beatles probably most famously had all their movies uh, starting with uh, Hard Day's Night, and then the Monkees had like their own sitcom of, of uh, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this is before Moonwalker, and it's probably what made people go, yeah, let, okay, now we got Prince, let's do Michael Jackson. Of course. So, Except the difference is that uh, Moonwalker was completely self-financed by Michael Jackson. He didn't have a studio, and that's why it didn't really, it was supposed to be a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it ever did get, in Japan it did, mm-hmm. or outside of the United States, but it never got released in the United States, which is crazy. Which is, I mean, there's one way to find that out. Yeah, I'm almost positive. I know a lot more about um, Michael Jackson trivia than I do Prince. I'm excited for us to finally get to Moonwalker. Um, Prince spent months writing down the basic (laughs) plot points of the film. Uh, Impressed with his work on fame, Cavallo commissioned William Blinn to write the script. Blinn's original script, called Dreams, was much darker. Uh, Reckless director James Foley was offered to direct the film but was not interested and instead passed it on to his editor, Albert Magnoli, who disliked Blinn's script for lacking quote-unquote truth and was then hired to direct and edit after delivering a pitch on the spot to Cavallo. Allegedly, during the first meeting with Warner Brothers, the studio executives asked Cavallo if John Travolta could replace Prince as the film's lead. (laughs) All right, with that being said, we're going to get into it. Let's go. So we begin with probably the greatest introduction to a movie, setting up the world in the excesses of the 80s to the amazing extended mix of Let's Go Crazy. Um, So I say extended mix because that's something that I wanted to mention, is most of Prince's biggest hits usually have like an extended mix to it, Mm -hmm. which is always like not even 90% of the time 100% of the time is always better than like sometimes the LP mix or definitely the single mix so like this version of Let's Go Crazy is probably 9 minutes long there's like a 10 minute version of Raspberry Beret Mm. um he was known to write long songs and most people don't know that because the singles that they hear on um the radio or whatever are always shorter and they always either fade out or cut off like before the last three minutes where the song gets like really good like purple rain is literally i think 11 minutes a lot of that is like extended with like strings and stuff like that um when doves cry is like close to seven minutes with like an extra guitar solo and just like i if you ever have a chance to listen to like extended mixes of any of his songs always go for the extended mix um one of my all-time favorite prince songs um i would die for you there's an 11 minute version of that song and there's a 30 minute version of that song the 30 minute version is like a bootleg it's like kind of uh it's amazing to hear because it's like it's kind of a rehearsal the Mm -hmm. bare bones of the song are there but then they extend it and you can hear prince like leading the band like okay now guitars drop out and then horns give me something here and then it's it's literally 30 minutes long um and there's also a 30 minute version of the song um America, which is on mm-hmm. around the world in a day, um, which basically they just kept jamming until like the tape like ran out, ran mm-hmm. out of tape. It would be fun to uh, do the math and figure out how long Purple Rain would be if you had just the extended versions of each one. Yeah, especially if one of them's thirty minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> Again, my some of that that uh, I would die for you is like the eleven minute version is like incredible. Um, it's just. It's perfect. I don't know how to explain it other than it's perfect. So uh, we open with that. Uh, Shortly after that, we're introduced to Prince, Morris Day and Jerome Benton, Apollonia, 
Jill Jones, well, and the rest of the revolution, which is Wendy Melvoin, Lisa Coleman, Brown Mark. His real name is Mark Brown, but Prince changed that to Brown Mark, the bassist, mm. Dr. Fink, and Bobby Z. Dr. Fink is the keyboardist, and Bobby Z is a drummer. So uh, during the scene, while they're playing live, we intercut. We see we meet Apollonia for the first time. Uh, she stiffs a cabbie and runs out before paying. Uh, Morse Day is vacuuming his room in his unmentionables, <laughs> and Prince is checking himself out in the mirror. Did you? The the cab fare was thirty seven seventy five, which is insane because today that'd be one hundred six dollars. Yeah, who knew? Who knows where she came from? Yeah, because cakes. Yeah. And, and my other thing about the cab thing, I was like, you might see this guy again. Like, what if you get the job at the club, you're probably going to see him again. So why wouldn't you? But she'll be staying across the street. So she actually finds a oh. shithole Mattel to stay in, which is actually across the street from First Avenue, uh, which is where Prince kind of got his start. So that's mm. in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where yeah. Prince is from. And most of the movies filmed there. Uh, Most of it. No. A lot of it's filmed in Los Angeles, but it's supposed to be Minneapolis, and it's very obvious that well, it's I lo- Los I looked Angeles. Up, I looked up filming locations, and more were not Los Angeles, but then there was like one part where I was like, oh, that's definitely Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. so she finds a shithole motel to stay in, and she actually hears the music playing at First Avenue, which just so happens to be directly across the street from her motel. Uh, she sneaks in after unsuccessfully trying to get in through Chick, uh, played by the big bouncer guy. That's mm-hmm. actually Prince's main security guard his name was chick uh-huh. yeah and after sneaking in she knocks the glasses off a waitress's serving tray with a hilarious exchange worthy of an oscar um, that's played by jill jones which is another prince protege um you can put the clip in because it's hilarious She's like what are you stupid or something yeah. what are you stupid or something why don't you look where you're going listen i'm from out of town and i have to see the manager it's important I'm a pretty good singer and dancer, and maybe he could use me. Do you have any experience? Yeah. Follow me. Hey, here, fill this out. I'll have him call you later. I don't have a phone. When will he be back? Well, you can try tomorrow. Okay. Thanks. Apollonia? Yeah, so everybody uses their real name in the movie, which yes. is pretty crazy. Everyone does. Um, I did want to say that uh, hearing the intro in the movie makes it makes you appreciate the, the album itself. I mean, it's a great intro to any album, but to have the movie context in it, too, of just like, oh, okay, this is how the movie starts, so it's a really cool way to start a movie. And, uh, you know, you see all the different people and the way they're dressed, and you... Uh, 84 and 85 are kind of the quintessential 80s years so when you think of the 80s and the stereotypes of the 80s it's usually 84 85 around there probably because of movies like ghostbusters and back to the future being so popular around that time and uh you talked about yesterday in the car about the diversity of the revolution and uh we actually get to see it here so yeah so prince was really big about um diversifying and making his 
band appeal to a wider range of people. Um, so he has, you know, two white people, two females who may or may not be lesbians. Um, and as his, as he became more and more successful, his band sort of grew and grew bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, during Sign of the Times, like his touring band had like 12 people in it, which was incredible. All, you know races and genders and it's always cool because um he's always i don't know thought outside the box especially for the 80s as far yeah. as that thing goes so. and he's kind of uh, him and david Bowyer, th- these pioneers in androgyny mm-hmm. and uh it's obvious that uh, Jimi hendrix was a inspiration for prince if not then he's lying to himself because purple haze purple rain you know the purple yeah. one and all yeah. I think he gives props to Jimi Hendrix. Especially since Jimi Hendrix is so iconic with the guitar as well, and the whole purple thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So after Apollonia knocks over the glass, uh, she immediately notices and is hypnotized by Prince's performance, because during this whole period, like let's go crazy is still playing and they mm. intercut shots of them playing with uh, what's going on in the story. Um, they begin to set up the rivalry between the time and the revolution. So in the movie, Prince and the revolution is only called the revolution because Prince is called the kid. He's not called Prince. So mm-hmm. everyone calls him the kid. Um, and then more stay in the time is just called the time. Um, so they start to set up the rivalry between the time and the revolution. Um, we also see that Prince lives at home with his mom and dad and his home life is not great. Uh, he walks in on his dad physically assaulting his mom. He gets in the way and he gets slapped across the room by his dad. Um, his dad is played by Clarence Williams III. Um, also, you might remember him from uh, Sir Smoke. No, not Sir Smoke a lot. Um, uh, Samson, Samson Simpson from Half Baked. Oh, okay, I, his picture on IMDb is the best. I don't know if you've ever seen with the giant I, afro and the uh, yeah. the sideburns. Yeah. Yes. Uh, to talk about the Jungle Love scene because that's the song that that the time plays or performs. Uh, I forgot that this was in the movie because um, Kevin Smith had Morris Day in the time at the end of Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. To perform Jungle Love, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's oh yeah, Purple Rain." I forgot. Okay, now that makes sense. Um, I also like how uh, Morris Day has a mirror up on stage. Mm-hmm. That guy shows up with the mirror and he's like looking at himself. I'm like, "Yeah, this is definitely an inspiration for a lot of Chappelle Show stuff, like especially Beautiful." From uh, and they actually did that on stage. Like that was their shtick. Like Jerome is his second, mm-hmm. and basically like not his servant, but you know, um, his assistant. Sure. And they did that on stage, too. Um, And then Jerome went on stage, uh, went on tour with Prince, and he would do kind of the same thing, and they would have shticks. He's like the funny man, and I think he's awesome in this movie. He's hilarious. From certain angles, Jerome looks like Michael Jordan. I don't know if you noticed that. Because when I I first looked up, he was like, his profile was just right. He kind of looked like a young Jordan. But uh, I was going to say that he's kind of like the the guy who dances in the Boston's on stage, where he doesn't perform any. (laughs) Yeah, he just fucking stands there and skanks like an idiot. Yeah. Uh, and this also, well, there are two things about the, the time, because there's that, you know, the rivalry between Prince and uh, Morris that I'm like, I'm wondering if this inspired the idea of having Prince be in the Bad music video. Bad was conceived. I wanted to do a duet with Prince. 
you know. It would have been great, man. It really would have, you know. Just it, just for drama, man. You know how the fighters do it, you know. And have the video with him coming to kick Michael's ass and the open oh, land, your butt is mine, you know. I mean, that's what it was written for, you know, to do that. And uh, uh, I uh, set up a meeting with Prince and Michael, which was the historical night. And Prince finally said, uh, you don't need me to be on this, you know, it'll be a hit without me, you know. Which could be, know, I don't... Didn't happen, obviously. Yeah. Just for drama, man. Just for drama. Uh, and uh, uh, Apollonia starts to, like, swoon when she hears them play. And I'm like, do you not, like, see how goofy this guy is and how, like, full of himself and weird? Like, just immediately she's just like... Sometimes Whoa. girls like a man with confidence. Uh, that's... If you can call that confidence, sure. Um, and then about the uh, the abuse happening at the the home, I'm just I found it a little laughable with Prince running in, like trying to stop his dad with with that voice. And dad. The, yeah, it was like Michael Jackson level voice because when he talks later, he talks normal. But this was mm-hmm. like, Dad, stop it! And mm-hmm. it's like, and then he's dressed the way he's dressed. He's dressed like Prince. <laughs> yeah. So. You hear me, Mom? Dad, you keep this place clean. Yeah! Please, Dad, she's heard you. It wants to kill me. He's crazy. Dad, Look what please. he's doing to me. Um, I will say that uh, that shot, it's like a, a very fast like tracking shot with a dolly like as he's running. I love that shot. I think it's a great shot yeah. before he gets slapped. <laughs> uh, I, I half expected him to turn around to his dad and be like, how dare you? I'm a woman. <laughs> like in uh, Batman Returns. How could you? I'm a woman. So the next scene is basically a walk of t- walk and talk between Morris and the owner of the club named Billy. Um, so they're basically like that Albert. Yeah, <coughs> sweatsuit and all. Uh, they're basically talking shit about Prince, the kid, um, how he doesn't care about anyone but himself. Um, obviously, Morris has it out for him. He's trying to get Billy to drop him and basically kick him out of the venue and stop having him play. Um, you know, he only plays music that he cares about, which uh, actually people have been saying like about Prince for like, yeah. his whole life because he's someone that's had um, complete con- creative control over his music since like an extremely young age like even on his first albums they wouldn't allow him to like produce his own albums but he was like why um so again a lot of this is based in truth and reality because a lot of it is true and there is and was during the time of filming like an actual rivalry between morris day and prince and there's been there's trivia about him um you know having issues and having to be escorted off set and starting shit so Hmm. it's uh it's palpable you can definitely feel it um so while they're trying to while morris is trying to sway billy into dropping uh Prince from, sorry, the kid from the lineup. Which he's only six months younger than Morris. Really? Yeah, in in real life at least. I don't know if Prince was playing younger or anything, but yeah, they're six months apart. Yeah. Um, So one of the things that Morris mentions is that he's having problems with Wendy and Lisa from the revolution, um, and they probably won't be a band for much longer. Uh, Morris then suggests a girl group, and uh, Billy has this fun line when you put the clip in, where he says, yeah, yeah, girl group, something sexy, but not dirty. You know I got enough problems. Um, Probably because of Prince. Listen, I hear he's having a little problem with his band especially lisa and wendy for real yeah they won't be together for long Look, i'm telling you man you need to get rid of it 
What I need to do is get somebody commercial, something that'll work every night. Like a girls group? Yeah, girls group. Yeah, Mars. Something uh, sexy, but not dirty. You know, I got enough problems. Well, lay it on me straight, Billy. I put something together hot, and the kid is out, right? Yeah. <laughs> So they come up with an agreement that if Morris can come through with a group that's more successful than the kid in the revolution, uh, he'll get rid of the kid. Um, so after that, we go to uh, the rehearsal space where Jill Jones shows up and gives the kid a tape by Wendy and Lisa. He asks, well, why didn't they just give it to me themselves? But they're starting to set up the... Um, the tension between Wendy and Lisa and the rest of the band. After that, we cut to two members of Vanity Six, sorry, Apollonia Six. We'll talk about that after. Um, two members uh, in a rehearsal space practicing the song that will soon become Sex Shooter. There's no vocals to it, but you can yeah. hear the beginnings of it. Um, there's a funny scene where he's where they're rehearsing and uh, more stops. And he says, I want to see some perfection. I want to see some asses wiggling. <laughs> <laughs> um, the waitress that got knocked over earlier in the movie, when she came back in that scene, I can be, and I finally was able to say, "Oh, that's what Prince's voice sounds like," um, because it kind of feels like he always puts on a voice. Mm -hmm. And uh, people say the same about Michael Jackson that that high voice wasn't his actual voice. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I don't want to get into it, but I feel like there are some people that put on voices mm -hmm. that are a little more flamboyant than they actually are like they're really trying to put on a voice mm -hmm. so the waitress uh, i call her Daenerys targaris targaryen because that's what she looks like she kind of looks like a uh, emily clark Emil mm -hmm. whatever I mean, her name uh amelia clark amelia clark um uh, yeah she's she's horrible as far as acting goes <laughs> i'm just like immediately just like oof i will say that worst actor in this movie is uh the person who plays prince's mom she's yeah she's horrible everyone else no one else bothered me except for her which is because funny she has very very dramatic scenes and like she was just like she yeah she had more weight to pull so the con the um let's say conflict the contrast between what she what's demanded of her and what she's actually able to produce is much greater so i, w I will agree with that but the dad i'd probably say he's probably the best actor in the movie yeah because he's the only one that is actually an actual an actor, actor yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then uh at one point somebody at the dance studio somebody says the bitches are okay this just ain't happening man the bitches are okay but we need something more exciting and that scene when they're walking and talking was like when the first time I saw this movie, I was like, oh shit, this isn't going to be like a rated PG movie because oh, yeah. there, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rough language. Um, and Morris Day consistently refers to women as bitches. So, and I guess, uh, this is not going to be Moonwalker. This is not going to be a rated G fun time family movie. Yeah. Because uh, we, we see boobs there. But anyways, I, I, have, I have written down, throwing away that woman who can't act. So Yes. So that was the next, <laughs> next part. Okay. Um, so I jumped in. It's okay. Morris and Jerome are walking down the street uh, where they're basically talking about Apollonia, which somehow they already noticed that she was in the club. Yeah, which um, is weird. Yeah. So none of this is really explained. How Prince sees her and they, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Because the story we'll, needs them to. We'll suspend disbelief. It's go It's okay. Yeah. Um, so they're walking and talking about Apollonia and, you know, uh, Morris has quote unquote plans for her. And I guess an old 
lover of Morse's comes out of the blue and starts yelling at him. And Morse looks at Jerome and says, Jerome. And he picks her up and puts her in a tall trash can. <laughs> he literally throws her away. That's right. <laughs> he literally dumps her into a trash can. Um, I'm not advocating it, but it was very interesting to see. The 80s were a different time, I guess. Yeah. Well, as we'll get to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think you're going to, the next part, I, the next note I have is for the next scene. Yeah. So as we were just discussing, um, somehow Prince meets up with Apollonia. We don't know how or why. Um, there's no scenes establishing them like talking. It just mm-hmm. appears. Um, and then we get a really great music, mini music video set to Take Me With You, um, where they're. Well, first, she steals her necklace. Yes. <laughs> Well, okay, that's the scene where they set up. Yeah. Basically, um, so Casey, that he shows up. Yeah, he steals. Kind of setting up the fact that yeah, Prince is. uh, Sorry, the kid is an asshole. Like, and yet she's she's fully into him. But I guess you know he's a rock star. Um, She has a uh, like an anklet, like a gold anklet, and he's like, "Give me that." And then she willingly just takes it off. And then he walks away and she's like, hey, where are you going with that? He's like, it's mine now. You can't have it back. You gave it to me. And then he just walks away. Give me that. There, on your boot. Hey, wait. Give it back to me. You can have it back later. I want it back now, okay? Who gave it to you? A person. Male or female? Huh? You're lying. I can tell just by your reaction you're lying. So you gave it to me. It's not yours anymore. It's like she doesn't understand that she can choose neither of the men yes. and just be an independent woman. But she <laughs> is trying to break into the industry, yeah, so yeah, she sure. is, um, you know, she's kind of like uh, C.C. Baxter. He, They want to yeah. get a higher status, and sometimes they're willing to take a little bit of shit to try to get that, you know, that help to reach that extra level. You want to be a star, don't you? Yeah, exactly. So they get on a motorcycle together and they go off. Um, I don't know if you noticed this. Prince is smiling a lot, which he generally doesn't do. Mm -hmm. But he has chiclet teeth. Did you notice that? No, I didn't really. (laughs) strange, I didn't. Yeah. so they drive they're driving the motorcycle over very obvious um los angeles landmarks like they go through uh, you can see uh the los angeles like aqueduct that they go through in downtown la and they um drive through the countryside and then they stop and we get the classic lake lake minnetonka scene um Mm -hmm. did you recall that like you got a towel man it's kind of hot out here man why don't you purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? Prince says that he, she has to pass an initiation, and she probably wouldn't. And she asks, "What's the, what do I have to do?" And he says, "You have to purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka." And they're in front of a body of water. We don't know if it's a lake or whatever. Uh, so then Apollonia slowly starts getting undressed, and Prince looks um, interested, curious like he's trying to stifle a laugh and uh apollonia gets topless and jumps into the water but right before she jumps in to his credit prince says hey wait that's not and before he can finish his sentence she jumps in the water um 
so she gets out and it's freezing cold and you can tell because you can see their breath in the scene yeah um there's a little bit of trivia in that um she so after jumping into the lake she gets out of the water and prince tells her that's not lake minnetonka and then he gets on his bike and drives off (laughs) (laughs) laughing about it too yeah he takes off and he's like oh this is cute he literally um it's our hero ladies and gentlemen yes he revs his engine and kicks dust in her face and drives (laughs) off and she's obviously very very upset and while she's trying to get dressed um prince stops maybe like a hundred yards away and looks back and is continuing to laugh at her falling like while she's trying to put her pants on um (laughs) what do you think of that scene i thought oh wow this isn't gonna be like usually in a love triangle you have the protagonist who is the most likable the one you're rooting for uh and you know they'll do something wrong they'll lie about something and that's one of the things that happens towards the end of the movie like at the beginning of the third act where they find out that they're they're uh the female finds out that they're a liar or depending on what gender anyways doesn't matter the love interest finds out they're a liar and you think oh well no it's over but the third person in the triangle is usually either a jerk or also a pretty likable person so it's a tough choice uh like the notebook if i remember that correctly i think i barely saw that but uh the uh, james marston character wasn't an asshole he was just you know a good person um but in this it's like you have two men that are just not good choices yeah prince is definitely not a good person in this movie is <laughs> not likable with the exception of his stage persona he's yeah moody he's physically violent towards women multiple times and Mm -hmm. the first time i saw this i was like holy shit and he was like able to like put this movie out and be proud of it like he's um yeah he's he's an egomaniac he's really moody he's fucking mean to everybody he treats his band members like shit yeah um he's not a likable person in this movie at all but boy can he sure play guitar yeah no he it's his character fortunately hopefully he's not that bad in real life i'm sure like i said he definitely has an ego and i'm sure there are a lot of negative things about him but yeah no hopefully it's not this level of asshole so yeah um so after that classic scene the lake minnetonka scene oh yeah he does he does that stupid thing where like you're hanging out with your friends and you're like get back in the car Uh, and you go to reach for the handle they drive away for a second yeah he does that to her twice and she has her leg around the motorcycle both times and you're just like okay can we like you even less like what the what is wrong with you and then she sits down and he looks back at her with a look of disgust and he says knowing that she had just jumped into a lake because he yeah. basically told her to he looks back at her and goes don't get my seat all wet yeah and then he and she still kisses him yeah and she and then he smiles and then they kiss and I have a, they go off yeah i've written down that apollonia is an idiot yes <laughs> she, she is um but you know she wants to make it hard she's willing to put up with the bullshit to make it as a star yeah. but she shouldn't have to no um, the next scene is straight out of Abbott and Costello. Have that um, done too. Yeah, when where Morris and Jerome are coming up with a password. So uh, essentially, Morris is telling him like, "Listen, if you see her at the club tonight, and I'm gonna have a couple sweet things with me, uh, you're gonna come up to me and you're gonna say the password." 
and then Jerome is like the password is what and so essentially the password is the word what w-h-a-t um, so they have this like four minute scene when they go back and forth and literally it's out like 100% out of uh, Abbott and Costello who's, who's, on, who's first. on first and what's really stupid about it is like you can oh, the Abbott and Costello one is perfect like if you've heard the full extended version of that it's it's great um, you can understand the misunderstanding with this it's like all he has to do is say the word what is the password and it fixes everything yeah uh, at one point I thought he was saying the password was password and I was like oh that's you got modern. it <laughs> it's a modern thing yeah. I think it just runs up and goes password you can put um, a little clip in there can I yeah you can <laughs> so we ought to have like a signal Password. Okay, what's the password? You got it. Got what? The password. Password is what? Exactly. The password is exactly? No, it's... Hold it, hold it. Slow down. We then cut to a really, really great scene uh, where we see all of the revolution, um, and it's setting up the tension between um, the band. So, essentially, it's, it seems like it's Prince... And then Wendy and Lisa on their own camp, and then Brown Mark, Dr. Fink, and Bobby Z are just kind of like, hey man, we're a band, like, whatever. <laughs> They're just kind of going along for the ride. Whereas Wendy and Lisa want them to play their songs and mm-hmm. try to help them out, help Prince out creatively. Again, the kid is an egomaniac. He doesn't want any help. He doesn't want to play their songs. He doesn't even want to listen to them. And, you know, they're hinting at this uh, This tension has been there for a long time and mm-hmm. it's building up to a boiling point. You know, uh, Wendy says, like, I'm getting really sick and tired of this. And Lisa um, is, you know, also, she's like, probably Wendy mentions, hey, did you get that tape that Jill gave you? And Prince doesn't answer and just kind of makes a face and then lisa says like he must have run it over with his bike um yeah so it's setting up the tension there um they wendy and lisa end up storming out of the room and prince looks at bobby z and dr fink and he says what about you guys are you guys tired and bobby or dr fink is has a great line where he says god got wendy's periods reversed about every 28 days she starts acting nice Lasts about a weekend. <laughs> it's just so sexist and yeah, kind of funny. But it's, it's funny. I was, I was, I wrote uh, about the beginning of that scene where they're all like sitting there and I'm like, do you ever, do you think they ever look at each other and go, do you think this outfit's a bit too much? No, uh, of course not, because it's the '80s, right? Yeah. Like, I, I think they all. Yeah, and he does that little stupid ventriloquism thing. Yes, where he doesn't <laughs> even move his mouth. I want I want you to put that in there because that's really great. Like, yeah, I mean, why should they play your that, stupid songs? That's a TikTok right there. That needs to be. Is it? TikTok. Should it be? No, I mean it should be because I mean it works better visually. But yeah, no, it's it's the weirdest fucking thing because there's no explanation for it like whatsoever. It's obviously him doing the voice of the the character and it's like this weird cone thing and his head just kind of pops out of it like a jack-in-a-box yeah he's pushing it from the bottom it's almost like a popsicle stick type thing yeah so if you look away before that appears on frame and then you look back and it's on frame you're like wait what the fuck is going on which is what happened to me um i will say that um wendy who plays the guitar 
in the mm-hmm. band Wendy Melvoin. Uh, she was only 19 when she was in the band at this time, which I think is incredible because yeah. she's an amazing, I mean, her and Le- uh, Lisa, they actually have a band, um, a group together. They've made music for years and albums, but the fact that she's 19 years old and she's that amazing. Yeah. And I think she's one of... Honestly, I think she's a better actor than Prince in this movie. Oh, yeah. I think she's very, like, naturalistic and believable. Um, I think she's great. I was going to say... So, yeah. I, really, I really like that scene. I was going to ask, did they ever... Didn't Prince ever accept somebody else's work in any of his... On any of his albums? In real life? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, Here's a little fun fact on the album 1999. If you mm-hmm. look at the the cover of it, um, I actually have it here. Uh, in the center, it's really hard to see. It's like hidden in there. It says obviously Prince and then 1999. But mm-hmm. if you look in the center, um, it's kind of small. And the Revolution is written backwards on there. It was the first time where he had like a, a like a backing band. The Revolution was his backing band, mm-hmm. and that's slowly they started um, like adding things. And then on Purple Rain, they were actually like playing together as a band right. but there are a lot of songs that he did completely 100% alone but he um, during this time he was like they were working together to make songs but then again um, after they released Parade and I think shortly after that they broke up so the Revolution were a band for like I think I want to say like five or six years okay. and then they dissolved for basically the exact reasons in this movie like Prince wanted to do it alone they wanted to go in different directions he didn't want their input he was doing things by themselves so I don't know why I randomly thought about this but I heard that however long ago he had a new record come out and on tour he went on this tour and part of the ticket price was to get one of get the new album like kind of whether you liked it or not and that was added to the um sound scan yeah yeah <laughs> the it's like this this record did so well yeah because they went there looking to hear 1999 and purple rain and all that not to hear the new stuff <laughs> yeah um and then i don't know if you know this but if you release a double album that counts as two albums mm-hmm. so like if you sell the white album the white album and it's two albums that counts as two album sales even though you're only paying one price but so interesting yeah it's interesting originally stupid sign of the times was supposed to be um a triple album called crystal ball and warner brothers said we're not releasing a triple album so he you can't, you can't put 30 songs on an album <laughs> no more messing around come on man you can't have 30 songs on an album why not quincy why can't we so yeah um and then we see uh another band a different band they don't get introduced did you know who that was playing the guitar and singing um, they're playing a song called th- modern air i think that's the one song one thing i didn't write down as far as music goes but you know what the scene is vaguely so it's like a quick shot but you can hear it in the background kind of the person up there is des dickerson who used to be prince's guitarist before wendy joined the oh. band um which is interesting, and I think it was like an amicable split, but I don't think so because on that song that I told you about, one of my favorites, um, Extra Lovable, mm-hmm. he has a line in that song. It's like, hey, Des, don't you like my band? So it's kind of like a diss to him. So I don't think, but I think maybe it's just like in, you know, politically, they were like, oh, yeah, it was amicable split, but I don't think it was. Yeah. Um, so 
there I guess creative differences. Sure. And I guess I don't know if he quit or probably Prince fired him because who would want to quit playing with Prince? But um, apparently his entire band in this movie. Yeah. But he, uh, Des Dickerson, is the one who does that really amazing uh, guitar solo on Little Red Corvette. Just so you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So they're playing the song Modern Air. He went solo and didn't really go anywhere. Obviously, since he's not really a household name. Yeah, Des Dickerson. And he always wore a bandana that had, like, the Japanese flag on it. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. So, during the scene after Des Dickerson goes on, the revolution, the the announcer's (laughs) release. Ladies and gentlemen, the revolution. The Times. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the time yeah that was when they introduced the revolution and the time i went wait isn't it called prince in the revolution is it called like morris day in the time Mm -hmm. no so after des dickerson's band uh the revolution goes on the kid sees um apollonia and morris at the club having a drink and he launches into a very passionate performance of the song the beautiful ones um and it becomes more and more obvious as the song progresses that he's singing it specifically to her uh the line do you want me or do you want him he's literally pointing to her um and says i want you he's pointing to apollonia but i was going to say that uh the scene earlier just after the ventriloquism (laughs) i think it was morris who said to one of the women makes you look young which was just like kind of fucked up to say and uh he's using pickup lines on apollonia morris morris that is and she's laughing along with it i'm like you're going with this this corny motherfucker it's a very um uh ron burgundy i have uh (laughs) i have an italian chef his name is sascacci or something it's it's really funny he's like i have a a brass water bed like i wish you could see my home it's it's so exciting in my bedroom i have a brass water bed (laughs) i have an italian cook gino scagagracci or something like that but yeah she's laughing at him very important person yeah He's, it's ridiculous what he's doing. So I don't think she's like falling for his charms, but she's just like laughing because he's saying like stupid shit. Because considering he's living in what looks to be like a basement apartment and like yeah. it looks to be very small while he's when he's vacuuming it. Well, based on the way she's been acting so far, I just assumed that she was just like, yeah, this guy's great. So again, it's probably not that she thinks that this guy's great, but she's like, who can take me where I want to go? Do I need to fuck the kid or do I need to fuck? <laughs> morris who knows yeah um so after this scene uh the kid brings apollonia back to his room that looks like a 13 year old's room from the 80s well first they peep on the parents yeah which is weird (laughs) i don't know she's like looking through the window at them um the prince's parents are sharing like what looks to be an intimate moment they look like they're they're not having sex but they're just like embraced and they look all like it's so embarrassing it's like that's they're at their home they're doing what they should be doing what are you talking about yeah um but i don't know why prince brought her to his house to like looking through the window yeah it's kind of weird like, it's like hey, uh, don't worry about the front window let's go to the back yeah so he lives in what can only be described as the basement 
seems yes. like. Um, he's like 25, 26 at this point. Yeah. So it's a little weird. But but it's interesting that he's not, again, if he was a complete egomaniac, he would be like, oh, yeah, I'm rich and famous yeah. already. I don't live at home with my parents, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like the Vanity Project idea that I was mentioning at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, which is interesting, not to be confused with Vanity. Vanity's... <laughs> Is another one of Prince's protege. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> the um, look in your face was just like disgust with me. <laughs> like I was the one who said something wrong. How dare you? So after she, he brings her to his apartment. They have um, very graphic sex, and it's disturbingly obvious that Prince is a terrible kisser, which is both surprising and depressing. Um, if you watch this and you watch them kiss, I don't know how to explain it other than like he looks like a fish that's gasping for air. <laughs> yeah that... apollonia looks like she's you know passionately kissing him yeah. with like a little bit of tongue like opening his, her mouth a little bit but like prince is like literally his mouth is open the entire time and he's just like rotating his head like back and forth it's really bad it's yeah and you would think because he's supposed to be like i mean i'm sure he's his sexual conquest of you know unheard of yeah but men and women probably yeah who knows whatever but uh, to see this and you know i mean especially the, the, when you put on a record of a woman crying in reverse yes. and then you and when she says no you have sex with her anyway yeah does yeah. she say no yeah <laughs> she says no and then he just kind of like really like stands back for a second then it goes in for it which isn't as weird because we watched blade, uh, blade runner last night and there's that one scene where she's trying to leave um rachel is trying to leave and i'm like and then he's like forcing herself him, himself on her and i'm like this is a little i'm like this is pushes her very forcefully against the wall yeah and uh, there's like a scene similar to that in uh, on the waterfront and I'm just thinking back through movie history going men who made this thought this was fine mm -hmm. like this was like romantic yeah and it's crazy to use it in a modern watch it in a modern lens with yeah. a modern lens absolutely um so again this sex scene is they don't show any kind of like penetration obviously or up and down but like what they're doing it's kind of like the foreplay before it that's it's very graphic he does a over the panties uh, yes grab. yes uh, fondling, fondling fondling over the panties but it's you know <laughs> my dog didn't like it Chessa didn't like it nobody likes over the clothes fondling <laughs> I know. Um, it's foreplay, man. It's just, for, just for foreplay, man. Just for foreplay. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> hates the, the Quincy Jones thing. Yeah, fucking 20 times a day. I know. We do. But it's just for drama, man. <laughs> <laughs> Following that scene is one of the great dramatic scenes from Prince, showing that he uh, is playing the tape that Wendy and Lisa gave him, which i don't know if you saw but um when he puts in the tape it's like kind of hidden but it's uh titled as gemini hmm. i don't know why but that's his character's name in uh, the bat dance yes, music video exactly um did i just ruin, ruin one of your, your trivia no actually oh, yeah. no i was just like interested it's just like a little like whatever huh. eagle eye thing if you noticed it i did not Prince is uh, listening to the tape. He seems to be like entranced by it. He listens to it on repeat while his mom and dad argue. He turns up the volume to try to drown them out. Um, oh, there's a, there's a scene before this where the girls are playing it on stage. And that's when I realized, oh, the song's Purple Rain. Duh. Uh, spoilers. But when you hear it, you, it's obvious. But 
that's when he yells at them and says, I'm not going to play your stupid music. And I wrote down in my notes, does he want to be unlikable in this movie? <laughs> yeah. So in that scene, um, there, Wendy and Lisa are there. It's obviously, sorry, trust. <laughs> they're, um, they're at their rehearsal space. They're practicing and it's just Wendy and Lisa. Prince asks them, where's everybody else? And they said they all went home and they play, they stop playing immediately. Like when Prince walks in and then they start playing, uh, they start playing like the let's intro to let's go crazy. I can't remember exactly. Do they just start playing it or do they say, do they're like, they oh, is this better? Like, cause they start, they were, they're practicing. They're practicing. Purple the rain. Yeah. And, uh, just or what cut, Gemini cut this whole thing. <laughs> They're they're practicing Gemini and uh, which is obviously Purple Rain and then they one of them sees and says the other right yeah and so then they start playing uh, Let's Go Crazy and one of them goes is this better and he's like I'm not gonna play your stupid music so just drop it okay and then Morris can't you guys get off it yeah can't you guys get off it it's like no they're musicians they want they're artists they have a voice they want to contribute yeah so but apparently um, Dave Grohl wasn't like that with uh, Kurt Cobain when he was in Nirvana yeah it's because that he was asked that question like did you go up to Kurt and say hey I have a song can we do a song he's like no I never really tried that and then obviously what happened to Kurt Cobain and he was able to make his own music anyway uh, and you know obviously 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 became uh, Foo Fighters but yeah and then in the next scene Morris hands out his mixtape to Apollonia and reminded me of the people on Hollywood Boulevard <laughs> and in front of Disneyland sometimes now really yeah where like uh, when you go to cross the street to go to IHOP or Denny's across the street uh, yeah there'll be a guy out there holding doing the exact same thing wow I'm surprised they don't have the police there in like 10 seconds to go and well, shoo be, them away there are people there selling water there are people there selling those weird light up slingshot things uh, light up balloons Some across the street they're selling uh, pins I usually come in from the back way so I've never seen that yeah it's, it's weird um, and even some guys will be out there preaching nice yeah save your soul don't give it into Mickey <laughs> anyways don't give your money to, to the mouse. Give it to some guy who pretends like he's there for Jesus. There you go. Prince is listening to the tape that Wendy and Lisa gave him. And um, in the background, you can hear the kids, mom and dad arguing. And he turns up the volume. The, um, the argument escalates into an actual physical altercation where um, Prince's dad slaps his mom and Prince tackles his dad into a wall. Um, so everybody's on the floor. The mom is crying. She says, and this is like where it's like really cringy. She's like, you never let me have any fun. <laughs> oh, hate it here. I want to leave. Yeah. Something stupid. It's something I mean, like that. Like, I want to leave. You never let me have any fun. Like, she yeah. actually says those words. Like, you never let me Which have is any. like, sure. I mean, if you're in a marriage and you're a housewife, like she seems to be, then yeah, I mean, you should definitely you know do things with your wife uh because you know being stuck at home all day as we all learned last year or the year before that that isn't as fun as it sounds and yeah but it kind of seems like a moot point compared to being getting your ass beat by your husband like that's the thing you're complaining about 
Like it's not stop hitting me. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, I want to go to Disneyland. Yeah, you don't <laughs> let me go out to the clubs. You never let me hang out with my friends. Um, in this scene, we get some really great acting from Clarence Williams, who plays Prince's dad. Um, he has a great line: "I could make you happy if you just believed in me. I would die for you." Yeah. Wonder if that's going to come back. Yeah, I wonder. Hmm. I've heard that. After this scene, uh, we see Prince uh, sleeping on the floor, very sweaty, in a, yeah. in a wonderful tank top. This is his most normal outfit throughout the movie. Uh, and we see Apollonia come in through the window, and she gives the kid a guitar. She gives him a guitar. Um, Prince, of course, wants to give her something in return, something equal in value. So he gives her... A smack across the face. One earring. <laughs> yeah. He gives her the earring first. <laughs> Sorry, just that idea. I was just like, oh, thanks for the guitar. Yeah. So that was really fucking loud. Appreciate yep. it. Um... So after gifting him the guitar, the gift exchange, and he gives her an earring, uh, Apollonia tells him that she's joining Morris's Day's band, and he immediately becomes enraged and slaps the shit out of her. Yeah. Uh, it's very eerily similar to Prince's dad abusing his mom. and Which just happened. Yeah. And Apollonia even eerily sounds like Prince's mom when she's on the floor, like, mm -hmm. kind of... Um, I want to go to Disneyland. Sure. Um, I was going, she couldn't afford the $37 cab, but now suddenly she's buying guitars. Well, you do see her at the beginning of the movie. She has a fat stack of money, but it, yeah. you know, that's all the money she has in the world. And so she's going to give it to Prince, who uh, had convinced her to jump into a not Lake Minnetonka and uh, ditched her and came back, but then started messing around with her like she's one of the guys. Yeah. And uh, she says, uh, take me to a pawn shop, not the pawn shop. And so does like every pawn shop in that area have that exact same guitar? Is that what she's hoping for? Well, there's a scene where he looks at it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But she says, take me to a pawn shop. Is there a pawn shop nearby? Take me to one. And that pawn shop happens to have that guitar that he has. It happened to be the, we'll, I'll say that. It happened to be the pawn shop she was hoping to go to. So I just thought that was a little weird. It's like not, hey, go take me over to this place. I saw something I want to get. Okay. Yeah. I get it. I also wrote in parentheses, maybe I'm just like my father, because immediately preceding this, he abuses, the kid's dad abuses his mom, so he's becoming just like his father. Too bold. And also, yeah, when he smacks her, and she goes, just leave me alone, it's like, you came to him. <laughs> yeah, he did that. Uh, like, if she was running out the window or out the door while saying that, that'd be one thing. Or like, if he was chasing her. But it was just kind of like a weird time for her to say it. Oh, he asks, do you know what Morris is about? And I wrote that she knows what you're about, <laughs> that you hit her. And this is the midpoint of the movie, which typically in a story or a screenplay is the halfway point, And it's the hero's darkest point in the, uh, in the uh, plot. Uh, last week's episode, that was with the, uh, we'll call it the Christmas present that... Uh, Baxter found on his bed and uh, the movie before Irreversible that's the the big rape scene also also the big twist of the place beyond the pines happens right at the the midpoint and uh, the boss also says he only needs three acts not four but when Prince is only playing one song and leaving he can afford to keep him there and only pay him for the one song <laughs> which he does uh, multiple times what's with this one song shit yeah but what's funny is I don't ever hear any band in the movie play more than one song in a row except for the end yeah so <laughs> 
after this scene the kid sits down with billy uh billy basically puts it to him and tells him that he doesn't have room for four acts now that he has apollonia six um which there aren't six of them here's a little fun fact do you know why there's called apollonia six boobs oh, you do yes yeah. because there are three sets of two titties oh, so two four six <laughs> um that is why they're called Avalonia six <laughs> That's a direct quote from Prince, okay? I didn't write that. You're no, I'm not. I'm not lying. I would never lie about that. Right. We then have another music video montage set to uh, When Doves Cry. Uh, Prince is driving around the city, which is very obviously Los Angeles and not Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's basically revisiting the spots where he had time with... Um, Apollonia and where they had good times and he's you know gazing out into the distance and he's smiling thinking about the moments that they had together where they were sweet and innocent and when he wasn't physically abusing her but then he says why do we scream at each other and it shows him slapping I'm like that's not screaming yeah that's hitting that's there's me. a difference because couples scream at each other all the time and that's that's part of being in a relationship is it screaming at each other what the fuck <laughs> kind of relationship for you maybe that's a hyperbole but yelling at each other sure after prince reminisces he goes back to his house uh and he pulls up and sees his mom crying on the curb uh prince you know stops and asks her like what's going on you know where's dad kind of thing and we get a really great scene uh with really great dramatic acting from prince as he storms into um the room looking for his dad I love that. that yeah. Great. Which is accurate because he did fuck his mom. So, okay. <laughs> He's dead. Really great. Um, <laughs> Prince uh, is storming around the room looking for his dad, yelling for him, and he hears his dad playing the piano, uh, which I don't know if you noticed the song that he was playing. Did that sound familiar to you? No, not really. I, the weird thing about it was I didn't realize it wasn't the score. Um, I didn't realize it was diegetic, which uh, means that it's music that you can hear and the characters can hear too, non diegetic So like when they're performing on stage is diegetic, but when, you know, uh, Take Me With You or When Doves Cry plays in this, it's non diegetic but no, I didn't know what song that was. The song actually is um, a part of Computer Blue. It's called mm. like Love Theme. It's like the guitar oh. solo. Uh, it's just played on a piano. And another fun fact is that's actually Prince playing the piano for that okay. song. Um, but he sees that his dad... This is the first time that it's ever shown that his dad is a musician as well. Because I think they got brought up earlier, like he's just like his dad. Just like his old man, but they don't really explain like what it actually means. Uh, So there's a great scene and probably the best acting from both Francis, Prince's dad, and the kid. Uh, He asks him, like, do you have your songs written down? And he's like, no, man. Is that yours? Of course it's mine. Whose else would it be? I got lots of them. They're all different, too. I'd like to see them. You got them written down somewhere? No, man. 
I don't write them down. I don't have to. It's a big difference between you and me. He asks her, he asks, <laughs> he asks the kid, Prince, um, do you have a girlfriend? And, and he says, yeah. And he I'm says, like, yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> she clearly is not your girlfriend when she's saying leave me alone and leaving after you beat her. And he asks, um, are you going to get married? And he's like, I don't know. And you think this is going to be like a big, beautiful, like, yeah, get married, have lots of kids, be happy. And he's like, he tells her, tells him, <laughs> don't ever get married. And then uh, we immediately jump to a hot, sweaty performance of Computer Blue, which uh, the aforementioned piano part, it's called quote unquote love theme from the song is played by Prince on the guitar, which is my favorite part of that song. It's that guitar solo is like amazing. So again, Apollonia comes into the club during this performance and the kid Caesar enters the club and again with Morris and he freaks out. Uh, Billy says, the kid is in rare form tonight. Um, <laughs> after that, after that song ends, he then, uh, they segue into, on the album, uh, Darling Nikki is connected, like, perfectly with Computer Blue, and they do the same transition from Computer Blue to Darling Nikki. Um, it's played in the same vein as the Beautiful Ones, uh, directly to Apollonia, which, uh, affects her so much that she runs out of the club crying. Uh, after Prince is done air humping the <laughs> the monitors for on the stage, he storms off stage. He goes into his dressing room and he starts like punching not the wall but like knocking shit off shelves yeah. and getting all angry. He was trying. It looked like he was going to go full Charles Foster Kane in that scene. Have you ever know. seen Citizen Kane? Oh yeah, I was like, I don't yeah. get the reference. I thought that was like a basketball star or something. No, no, it's when he goes in. And he's like super pissed. So he just destroys yeah. room. Uh, yeah. Um. So Billy comes in and storms in after him, and he asks him like, "What the fuck is your problem?" They get into an argument, and he basically is saying like, "I've had enough of your shit." He's like, "Fuck off." Yeah. He's, <laughs> he tells him. He's and, temper tantrum. Yeah, and he's like, "You're just like your dad." What the fuck wrong with you, kid? I don't have time for your bullshit, Billy. What do you want? I told you before, this stage is no place for your personal shit, man. That's life, man. Life my ass, motherfucker. This is a business, and you ain't too far gone to see that yet. I told you before, you're not packing them like you used to. Nobody digs your music but yourself. Fuck off! Yeah, okay. Just like your old man. Yeah, you gotta tell me I'm wrong. You're not blind. Look around you. No one's digging you. Oh, buddy. What a fucking waste. But, like father, like son. Lay off that. Let me give you some good advice, Junior. Your music makes sense to no one but yourself. For Darling Nikki Coast, that's a really good song. It's yes. one of my favorites. I love the double kick. Mm -hmm, at the drum. end. Yeah. And that shit is, like, pretty hard. Like, mm -hmm. um, like as far as hard rock, like, it's pretty... Yeah. I can't think of a, like, I don't know. Just like heavy metal usually uses the the double kick. Well, yeah, but not only that, but just like the overall like the guitars are like really it's yeah. like heavy. It's a pretty heavy song, and you know the lyrics are pretty heavy too. Yeah. <laughs> um. There's some masturbating. Yeah. There's a tri there's some trivia on that too. Uh, so I was gonna say two things about this scene. Is this usually how Prince performs? Is what I wrote down. Yes. Yeah. And uh, well, back in that era, yes. And what is your favorite song from this album? I would die for you. Yeah, I would have thought you would have said one of the, the three main ones. Um, well, the three popular ones, the extra popular ones. Um, but mine's when Dove, Doves Cry, probably. Yeah. 
yeah definitely i would die i would die for you and then um i love computer blue and there's actually like a Originally, that song was going to be there's like a 16 minute version of that song, mm-hmm. and then he chopped it down and then added in at the last minute. I think it was "Take Me With You." He added that one in. Uh, there's some trivia on the songs. <laughs> you better deliver on this trivia because well, there's that like five times. Well, everything we're talking about, like there's trivia based on these yeah. things. Um, but yes, I really love. I mean, the whole album. Purple Rain, of course, is amazing. But I would say definitely number one is I Would Die For You. If we're talking extended versions, then um, Let's Go Crazy would be on there. If we're not talking that, then probably Darling Nikki would be number two. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So after the argument with Billy, we see... Apollonia playing their first concert, which is obviously a huge success. They're playing the song Sex Shooter, which was a real song that came out by Apollonia 6. I love that song. I was going to say this is the weakest song in the movie for me. Really? Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's being compared to everything on on, uh, Purple Rain. And again, this is a song that was written by Prince. And there's actually, if you look on Spotify, they have the version that he did first. And I think uh, Apollonia doesn't have the strongest vocals on it, but again, Apollonia's version is, I think, like six minutes long, and that last like two minutes are like the best part. Mm-hmm. And the Prince version is like pretty short, three minutes. But you can, it's almost exactly the same as far as like the way that it sounds and vocal inflections and stuff like that. So. Oh, I think it was, it might have been the mix that I was listening to, but the their vocals were a little weak, so maybe that's added to my uh, disdain. I, I would say not disdain or dislike, because I didn't dislike it you just, just said it's like the weakest the weakest yeah. yeah compared to everything else well maybe the bird wasn't the greatest either but uh i was gonna say fun. i like <laughs> sex shooter more than yeah i listened to the actual song a little bit and i was like okay it's yeah it's just this version of the yeah. song that i don't like as much and they're dressed in lingerie and there's a middle-aged woman in the crowd like enjoying it too and i'm just like this is weird yeah <laughs> it's so weird that this crowd is just like yeah sure this this is natural it's just everyone in lingerie um that was kind of another thing that like again uh the group the two backup singers backup dancers were a part of vanity six and vanity six was headed up by who prince named vanity her Mm. name was denise matthews i think um so originally she was going to be in this movie and if you watch the scene at the beginning where morris and him are morris and jerome are talking uh, if you look at their mouth closely they're actually mouthing the words vanity and not mm-hmm. apollonia they dubbed over because she was in the movie at this point but she left the project and left the band so they had to find apollonia to put her in it and uh vanity six most famously did the song nasty girl which is a great song which makes sense for the waitress at the beginning to be like apollonia it would have made more sense for her to go vanity Mm -hmm. so yeah i guess that makes a lot more sense yeah so uh that was a little bit of trivia on there and then afterwards i'm not sure i don't think it was immediately after but i mean they played the one song they came out and they're like apollonia six they play the one song and they're like okay bye the curtain's (laughs) closed yeah it's like you were just talking about one one and done songs man yeah going back to vanity really quick she became a born-again christian and she basically just like didn't ever want to talk about that that part because like they came out they're very very sexually like yeah with a name like vanity 
well yeah and then the song nasty girl it's like <laughs> take it out you, anyways and so then she changed her name to chastity or no she went <laughs> she went to by her real joke. name okay great um i don't know where to go from there <laughs> it was a bad dad joke too yes. so. during the uh performance of sex shooter prince comes in and you can tell that he's disturbed by what he's seeing uh as the curtain is closing apollonia is like smiling at prince who's like scowling at her she's like waving to him and like she's all excited and prince does not look amused at all I forgive you for hitting me yeah, earlier exactly we're friends again <laughs> Uh, Apollonia and Morris are shown leaving the venue and they're both obviously very, very drunk. Comedically drunk to the point where it's like unrealistic. Yeah. (laughs) After Apollonia starting to get into the car, we hear uh, a motorcycle engine racing in the distance, revving in the distance. And Prince ends up rescuing Apollonia from Morris. He knocks him over twice, doesn't he? Yeah, he like runs him over. uh, Which, you know, if I heard somebody laughing like that, I'd probably try to run him over too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, that was really loud. Sorry. He knocks him over once and then does like a little movie star 180 skid yeah. stop and then uh, tells her to get on the bike. And she does because she's an idiot. Yes. She has a little bit of apprehension. Uh, you can see in her face she has apprehension about getting on, but she ends up getting. And then they knock him over again. And Morris calls him a long haired F word. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Prince then takes her under a bridge where they get into another fight. Uh, back in L.A. Yeah, back in L.A., underneath the bridge. Apollonia pulls out a flask, and she starts trying to drink, and Prince says, don't do that. Give me that. And she's like, I don't have to listen to you, and he um, smacks the drink out of her hand after she continues to drink. Yeah, which is right after she was trying to cover up in front of him, and he goes, nah uh Oh, yeah. Like, so she's wearing just, like, lingerie and, like, this cool cloak. Yeah. And she covers herself up, and he says, uh-uh. And he basically, not rips it open, but he... Yeah, he doesn't rip anything off, but he it, exposes, it becomes a cape. Mm-hmm. He exposes her. Uh, then he slaps the flask out of her hand. She hits him, and then he knocks her down to the ground. And just before punching her, he realizes what he did. Um, and you can see sorrow on his face. And Apollonia says, go ahead, hit me. But he doesn't. <laughs> she gets up, and she ends up throwing his earring that he gave back to her, throwing it on the ground. And Prince leaves to go back home. That earring, that, I mentioned, forgot to mention that in the earlier scene where uh, she uh, he gives her the earring, and I thought they were going to trade an earring or something, so that way, you know, because I thought that'd be nice. But no, she takes her other earring off and just throws, throws it away. Yeah. away. I'm just like, what? <laughs> you don't want to keep it for later? And yeah. Uh, so Prince goes back home to an obvious, another obvious domestic dispute, and we see Prince's dad with a gun in his hand. Uh, we don't see it happen, but we hear the gunshot happen, uh, where his father attempts suicide. Uh, the police come and after all the trauma and his life is completely spiraling out of control, Prince snaps and destroys the basement that he lives in. He, um, he keeps flashing between... I don't know why there's a chalk outline on the floor of his dad. And the chalk outline has the gun in his hand. (laughs) 
which is i don't i don't think that would happen <laughs> but um yeah because they don't have to solve it because the whole point of the chalk outline is to see the way the person falls so that way they can try to solve the crime well they're investigating maybe prince did it hmm? yeah i mean if they said that but they didn't and before the cops get there or maybe as the cops get there you you hear this crying and it turns out to be the mom but for a second i was like is that prince crying i thought maybe it was the woman crying and prince there. is very obviously upset by this while he's sure. getting questioned and there's no um it's just scored there's no sound which i think was a good choice um prince is being questioned and you can tell he's obviously very upset he's crying there's also no blood yeah there's no blood anywhere <laughs> not even in the uh chalk outline but there will be explanations later okay but he uh, does he does finally go ape shit yes he does he charles let, foster kane let's go crazy he goes crazy uh he picks up a broomstick it looks like and he smashes the shit out of everything knocks down shelves um and in the process of doing this he actually stumbles upon the sheet music that his dad has created uh and we see hundreds and hundreds of pages uh accredited to francis l which is his father um i don't know why his dad lied to him about that do you have any yeah because i was like okay is he trying to look like a badass Just, yeah like talking shit kind of yeah maybe and then i'm thinking okay well what else did you lie about <laughs> like do all your songs sound the same then yeah <laughs> after a much deserved nap prince awakes and with a really really great dolly shot like a dolly tracking shot we see prince finishing the masterpiece that is purple rain mm-hmm. so he sits down at the piano the dolly tracks around the corner to like him sitting at the piano with really nice lighting and he starts uh you hear the intro of actually it's like the last like two minutes of purple rain uh being completed on the piano yeah he was like we don't see him but we can hear him he plays it and then stops it and then plays it and then stops it and then plays it and the just like what the hell are you doing and then he finally get, oh he's trying to learn like he's trying to hear uh, figure out what the notes are by ear yeah. and uh i assume he could probably do that in real life oh yeah for sure he can do that with anything we cut to the club again and the time is going on and they play their hit the bird which is an interesting song it's all about a dance called the bird Mm-hmm. Would you like to describe how to do the bird? Basically, if you want to come up with a dance called the bird, you're probably going to nail it. <laughs> it's just flapping your arms. Yeah, you stand to the side and uh, you, if you're facing the stage, you're going to turn your body to the side and you basically just flap your arms like yeah. back and forth. So after they play um, their set of one song, do they play Jungle Love too? Jungle Love was the first. It was okay. So they just yeah, play the bird. They just play the, so they so play they've the, only played two songs yes, so far. They, only for the they, movie. they play their their heavy set of the bird, and the crowd goes nuts. They're you know standing ovation, although the the um, venue is already standing room only. <laughs> uh, as they're walking down the hallway, they start making fun of uh, Prince's band let's and the revolution. And they're like, "Let's go crazy! Let's get nuts!" Let's get How's the family? Oh. 
and they stop and walk backwards and Morse Day has a great line where he's like how's the family and then they all die of laughter because it's the biggest asshole move of yeah. all time hey your dad just tried to kill himself and he after beating your mom how's it going How, yeah. how's that going and the the band everybody looks miserable no one's saying anything like inside the revolution's dressing room like it's completely silent no one's saying anything um so one thing i noticed about that though is they cut to the rest of um Morse Day in the time like they walk past him into their dressing room and Morse Day kind of like sits outside the like in the hallway mm-hmm. and he shows like it looks like he's like remorseful yeah and I wonder said. yeah so that was that's probably the best acting from Morse Day is like where he's not saying anything and he's being like a human being and showing like real emotion I thought that was really good after that we're in the home stretch and we get probably one of the greatest live performances ever caught on tape uh the revolution go on stage uh and they play the entirety of the masterpiece that is purple rain at the beginning he mentions after waiting like a minute to speak in front of the microphone he's looking around and he does a really good job of like making you feel they cut between his reaction and the crowd staring at him waiting for him to play something and you can kind of feel that um contrast of him you know wanting to perform and feeling like i need to do good like all you know the weight of the world is on his shoulder pressure pressure is big he mentions like this song was written by two great girls wendy and lisa this song is dedicated to francis l and then after like another 30 seconds <laughs> Wendy starts playing the song and they play the entirety of Purple Rain and uh, we, we don't even need to go into it it's just I don't know do you have anything to say the about that over. performance? Um, well not specifically about that performance but the first time I actually heard the song that I know of was when we were at a uh, was it the uh, the mini golf not mini golf the, the race place that we used to go to uh, speed zone speed zone and uh, they had karaoke one night randomly and you picked purple rain i was like oh that's what purple rain sounds like <laughs> did i do no i did i want no i want to be your lover there was another it was probably we went to a different carry like an actual karaoke like when we went with like 20 different people and i did purple rain then i know <laughs> i trust me i'm gonna believe you yeah reluctantly i mean there's i have no reason to lie but i remember distinctly doing i want to be your lover at um because it was like inside a room and then i didn't know that there were speakers like pointing outside so people outside could hear me Mm -hmm. so i was thoroughly embarrassed (laughs) but i I Uh, did a great falsetto so yeah but uh that was the first time you've ever heard purple rain mm -hmm. wow uh what was i gonna say oh about the actual performance itself i think it was a pretty good performance considering only half the band had practiced it <laughs> um and yeah because that's just like yeah well we're gonna play this song and they're like wait we are and so like those two members the bass player and the, the other guy the drummer i assume it's probably like dr fink the keyboards yeah he's probably going like wait i've never, I've never what song is this <laughs> what are we doing but no they all played it perfectly at one point he uh, kisses the guitarist and she has this like weird look in her face it's like what Ew. Like, yeah, she, she looks disgusted. <laughs> yeah, it's like about goddamn time, asshole. And then he like leaves when the performance is over, and he hears the applause, and he comes back in, which is actually kind of funny because that's how my uh, my thesis film ends. Yeah, 
Um, so I wrote that after showing his love and appreciation of Wendy and Lisa in his own little prince way. He runs off the stage again. He's assuming that it's over and his career has failed and he's uh, getting ready to escape on his bike until he hears the cheers and screaming from the crowd. You can hear it from the outside. Mm. The crowd is going nuts again. Another standing ovation from a crowd that can't sit down. Um, <laughs> but well, he's like walking through the hallways in the back to get back to the stage. And as he's or everybody's like in a row in two rows applauding him and it's like yeah he gave a great performance but he didn't write the song <laughs> in this world at least in this world yeah, yeah. Um, but before that when he's getting ready to go in we see Jill Jones again like standing in the doorway from like the um, the entrance from you know the mm-hmm. alleyway to inside and she's sobbing and he gives her a simple high and she gives him a simple high back yeah. and i was curious like is she crying because that song is so beautiful or like it really yeah. affected her maybe that was like him going oh oh okay no i got i got the reaction i wanted from that song yeah um i mean to be honest if i saw that performance i'd probably be in tears too mm-hmm. uh so seeing that his performance left the audience and apollonia literally in tears they play a double encore of i would die for you and baby i'm a star and i was wondering where those songs were because uh purple rain's the last song on the album so i was like uh we're missing a couple mm-hmm and then, oh, okay, encore, sure. Yes. That's, which is what happens when you go to a concert. You're like, well, you didn't play this song. It's like, calm down, stupid. They're going to come it's back. It's coming, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> so during these scenes, we find out that Francis L., uh, his father, has actually survived the suicide attempt. That's why there was no blood. <laughs> I don't know. That's all. I'm grasping at straws here. Yeah. Cut to a scene inside of a hospital. Uh, his mom is like laying next to him she's obviously their their fucked up relationship is going to continue and prince is there too um just showing that everything is i guess kind of going back to normal uh during the ending of the performance prince picks up his guitar and creams on the audience (laughs) and it ends very abruptly with a close-up on prince's face the end well, real quick about those last two songs, uh, I wrote down that uh, I dig the moves, but he's no Michael Jackson yes. with his dancing. He does this, a version of the splits, but uh, you know Prince just surpasses Michael in pretty much every other way <laughs> as far as uh, talent goes. Uh, musical ability, yes, yes, 100%. musical ability, songwriting. Yeah. Um, so, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's always the hardest part is, like, who's a better singer? Yeah. Prince definitely has more range. But I think that... I don't know. That's a, that's a really, really hard yeah. one. With uh, the song Baby, I'm a Star, it reminded me a lot of the song Trust. So that was what I was bringing up earlier. I was like, this kind of sounds like... Is it Party Man? No, Party Man's slower. Oh, this yeah, this definitely sounds a lot like Trust, in my opinion. And... Uh, I was going to say that, and then with the ending credits, we have like 10 seconds of each song from the movie play until it gets to Purple Rain, and then it just finishes like during the credits, right? During the credits. Yeah. And then the last thing, one of the last things we see in quotes is, may you live to see the dawn. So. Hey, which he mentions, uh, mentions on um, the song Sign of the Times. May you live to see the dawn. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. What do we think of the movie, starting with you? Okay, first things first, uh, do I recommend this movie? I think it's pretty obvious that I do. 
even though the movie's super dated in places, I feel it perfectly encaps- encapsulates the excesses of the 80s in the form of fashion and music, and it really transport you to this time, And even though I wasn't even born for it. Um, nothing needs to be said about the live performances, because literally, with the exception of Michael Jackson, there is absolutely no artist, living or dead, who can put on a performance like Prince. Um, I don't care Justin Timberlake, Beyonce, I don't care who you are, like no one will ever um, put on a performance with as much raw passion, emotion, actually singing, musical talent, like no one, there will never be another one. Sorry for everyone who thinks that like fucking... um, I hear Beyonce a lot. Yeah, Beyonce a lot. Kanye. Uh, Kanye, give me a fucking break. I mean, he's he's a genius. He's a musical genius. That's one hundred percent. But like, Steve he- Jobs is dead. <laughs> Tressa loves that one too. <laughs> I'm dead. Uh, that's you know, that's probably a hot take or whatever. But like, I'm not doubting the fact that he's creatively a genius and mm-hmm. he's really good at what he does but as far as like uh, all encompassing like musical ability and talent and you know marketing and yeah. you know being a, a a trailblazer in the f- in the aspect of like record companies like recognizing the talent and giving you know wanting to own your own masters and being really like big about that and not being a slave his words to record labels and stuff like that like Mm -hmm. you know so he uh, pioneered a lot of stuff yeah that question does get brought up a lot on the internet of like who would you bring back from the dead for one last concert um so your answer would be prince without a doubt no, it would be Michael Jackson. He's dead really? too, in case you didn't. Well, yeah, no. Well, you're just the way you were talking right now. You said like he was the greatest performer. I said other than Michael Jackson. Other than Michael Jackson. With the exception of Michael Jackson. Uh, yes, to see Michael Jackson at his like peak, bad era, 1988. <laughs> yes, um, I would, I would, you know, that would be. But I will say that like Prince, you know, did amazing things. Like he would play ten sellout shows, and each show would have like like be a four hour show. Like he yeah. really loved playing, and it was obvious when he was playing like multiple encores, going until two o'clock in the morning, and then after that, going to another like secret show and like playing like another two hours. Just like there's tons of stories like that because he really loved playing, and he was just. I mean, his how prolific he was, it's just incredible. Um, what genie did he find to say, I wish that my voice will just be perfect every time because the idea of like performing to that level for four hours every single day like that, like you were saying, uh, voice actors, it's like in their, con- it's part of the SAG rules that they cannot work more than 20 hours a week, four hours, five times a day. So, shit, must be nice. Yeah. So, um, continuing on my overall thoughts i love the fact that the movie isn't afraid to dive into more dark and mature subjects and themes like suicide love sex monogamy legacy and so on and so forth uh prince has some really good moments to show off a bit of dramatic acting on his part which i really love as we discussed especially when he's running through the house looking to kick his dad's ass where are you motherfucker exactly i you you have to put the clip in yeah 
motherfucker. It's laughably cheesy in parts, of course, but I think it's all done in fun, which makes me enjoy it all the more. Uh, we didn't really mention the cinematography too much, but I think it's shot and composed extremely well. It's not super flashy or anything like super like, wow, like incredible, but the shots that they do have, like the ones that I mentioned, are really, really great. It's um, like music video level, which I mean is a compliment. Yeah, it's uh, it's straightforward, but they really have some good dramatic flourishes on it. It's no John Horror though, right? <laughs> That's true. I mean, Moonwalker just... Um, smooth criminal fuck man uh, so the overall score that I gave this movie was 8.78 out of 10 wow it's, I wouldn't say surprisingly high um, because just no. keeping everything and like how much I enjoy it and again yeah it's cheesy and there's some bad acting but it's like it's all a part of like the fun of the movie yeah uh, so would I recommend this if you're a Prince fan obviously if you're not it could still be fun I could understand people not liking it uh, as a movie by itself if like I didn't know about Prince if I didn't care about Prince just watching it as a movie I'd be like what the fuck is this I thing I can't but, wait to hear the one star reviews of this movie yeah so um, if I just rate it on a movie by itself probably a five like you know because of its poor I, th- I thought the editing wasn't that great to be honest okay. uh, and the acting of course and the story is obviously very derivative uh, and both men in the love triangle are bad people, especially especially the protagonist, which is, yeah. Uh, so that makes our female lead look like an idiot, like I've mentioned several times. Uh, but none of that is really the point of this movie, taking into consideration what it is, a cult film that is a must-watch for Prince fans, as I said. Uh, I'm going to let a lot of it slide, uh, which... <clears throat> Thank you so much for letting it slide. Which That's last week I, si- I said, I, I'm assuming I'm going to, and you're like, no, no, no. And uh, so obviously, yes. But obviously. <laughs> obviously. It's, uh, it's a fun look into the past, like you were talking about, nostalgia-wise, and to see what uh, prints from this angle instead of just the stories we've heard about him, like with the Chappelle show and with uh, Kevin Smith, and seeing him in this light. There's not a whole lot for me to say about this movie because there's a, a lot to have to forgive this isn't lady gaga reaching for an oscar like in a star is born um and she's great in that movie despite what i think about that movie in general um it's probably a studio trying to make money for the using the success using their name which i think we've mentioned that like it's warner brothers going oh who do we have on label oh we have prince but you also said that he wanted to make a movie yeah so So, i don't think warner brothers had anything to do with it It i'm sure they were like oh okay yeah let's do this but i don't know you might contradict me with i think it was harder well i kind of did it was hard for them to get this movie made okay well so i stand corrected on that uh kind of reminds me a little bit of elvis in the 50s where he made a lot of movies and uh we kind of have to just take it at face value and i'm sure i would love the movie more if it was a nostalgic thing if i would love prince growing up if i saw this movie at a young age which i mean 13 still pretty young yeah for you because uh, like i said i was in my 20s when i first really started listening to prince mm-hmm. uh, so i don't have that going for me but like i said i think purple rain's one of the greatest albums of all time and that definitely helps this movie as far as bringing it up so i'm going to give it a seven cool a little, uh, little disappointing there but that's okay because yeah. everything you're saying is just like it makes uh, it makes sense yeah. so 
Um, I think seven. I see a seven to me is you know. Oh yeah, I'll watch that movie again. Type of thing. Yeah. I, I don't hate it. I don't dislike it. Even a six is like eh. Okay. But with this, yeah. It's if I were to rank it, and I'm probably going to contradict the scores I've given in the past. If I were to put it rank-wise with the movies you've sent so far, um, it would definitely be below Irreversible, be below Royal Tenenbaums, um, but it would probably be above. See, I don't know if I'd put it above Place Beyond the Pines because that is a well. Is with my even with the problems I have with that movie, it's a better movie for it's sure. One, yes, one hundred percent. I was about to say, fuck if you like yeah. this movie more. So better than Way of the Gun, though. Okay, I, I enjoyed it a lot more for sure. Okay, so, trivia. All right, so some trivia for this song, song? <laughs> for this movie. Uh, so in the original script, the kid takes Vanity, and notice it's Vanity and not Apollonia, to a barn and they make love uh, during When Doves Cry. They show this in the movie. Yeah. He takes her into a bar, but it, barn, but it's Apollonia. Uh, rain patters strongly against the barn and deep thunder rolls, which is the lyrical inspiration for the song Raspberry Beret, where they mm. mention... Uh, rain hits the barn roof and the horses wonder who you are. I see what it did there. Yeah. <laughs> the lyrics in the song. Here's an amazing one. And just to sh- like kind of give you an idea of how good Prince was um, musically, mm-hmm. the audio from the three songs in the final concert, which included I Would Die For You, Baby I'm a Star, and the title song Purple Rain, were recorded live on August 3rd, 1983 at that club, The First Avenue, as a part of a fundraiser for the Minnesota Dance Theater. Hmm. It also marked the official debut of Prince's new band, The Revolution. The concert scenes were later reenacted later. So that the versions that you hear on the album the are live. Okay. That's cool. Like, is that not mind-boggling? Yeah, that no. obviously overdubs were done later, but, like, the fact that they were doing that live and it sounds that fucking good, like... Yeah. Give me any artist that could sound that good live. Like, I can't yeah. think of a single one. I mean, there's not even Michael Jets, Jackson. But that wasn't live, that was fake live. Yeah. <laughs> um... So, and there's a really great video. Someone actually filmed it uh, when they first play Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. So it's like a like grainy-ass, horrible footage. But they play Purple Rain, and there's actually, like, another verse in the song. So the version that they play is, like, probably 14 or 15 minutes long. Jesus. But it's, like, almost exactly the same as it sounds on the album, which mm-hmm. I think is just absolutely incredible. I'm over here gushing, and people are like, dude, who fucking cares? That's okay. <laughs> We have, we have, we, I know for a fact we have people listen that are Prince fans, so. Yeah. Let us know. What you think of her, yeah. add, add to the conversation. Please. Uh, tell us what your scores are for this movie. Yeah. Uh, another one, the original screenplay found on various websites. Uh, it contained an extremely explicit sex scene between Vanity and the kid during their Ride of Rage sequence. It's unknown if the scene was actually filmed when Apollonia replaced Vanity as the leading lady. This adds to the mystery of a long-rumored early edit of Purple Rain that was given an X rating by the MPAA. Interesting to think about. We should write Warner Brothers and say, give us the X. 
the X version or whatever. What they do for uh, the Snyder Cut? Yeah, give the, us the X Cut. Release the uh, the Purple Rain. Release Purple Rain X. Yes, Purple Rain X. I like that. Okay, let's do it, guys. If you're listening, <laughs> let's start this trend. Let's start it. Start using that hashtag. Even though it would have made a lot more sense six years ago when he died. Yeah, Purple Rain X. Here's a funny one. <laughs> Um, the scene where Apollonia and Prince are like, they look like they're in an outdoor mall and he takes the, her anklet off her. Oh yeah. I don't know if you noticed, did you see like a, a, like a weird flash of light? Like when they were doing it? I thought I did. Yeah. So you did. Um, so it actually was someone in the background, like taking a photo of them filming the movie. So someone had secretly taken a photo while they were filming it, which really pissed off the director. Yeah, so secret that they forgot to turn the flash off. Yeah. Fucking moron. Yeah, they probably was like a Polaroid or something. Taking a Polaroid from 100 feet away is probably like... I wonder if that person still has that Polaroid. That'd be cool. That would be worth some dollars. Originally, the kid's father was actually supposed to die of the gunshot wound to his head. But at the last minute, the director and the producers decided to let him live. So they could show that everything's looking on the up and up. Yeah, so if they want to do a sequel? Yeah. Which actually, I don't know if you know this. uh, I don't. There was sort of a sequel, uh, one that Prince directed called Graffiti Bridge. Have you heard of it? Oh, yeah. So it's like, it's, that's more like, um like a music video type thing where like it's like Walker. yeah uh but basically the prince is like reprising his role like he's still known as the kid and morris mm-hmm. day is in it but it's done like in the 90s so like the music is obviously not as good yeah. <laughs> um sorry 90s yeah sorry that's okay another one we talked about this uh darling nikki like the lyrics of darling mm-hmm. nikki um al gore and tipper gore's daughter okay. uh she was yeah i'm sure it's coming know this one already uh she was then the 11 year old daughter of al gore and tipper gore reportedly played princess darling nikki at their home in 1985 mrs gore a democrat put off by the song sexually explicit lyrics uh including the line i met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with the magazine uh, which I'm not really sure. Was she? Never mind. What um, were you gonna say? <laughs> is she inserting the magazine, or is she no, just I, using I, the magazine to? That's the first thought I have, and you, somebody even asked me recently about that song. Wait, how do you ma- masturbate with the magazine? Because I, you know, me hating paper cuts like I do, I was like, Ugh. Oh. but uh, no, I just assume that she has a magazine and she's using that for pleasure. The, yes, yeah, I get to, it. To look at. Yes. Okay. Very nice, Prince. Very nice job. Anyways, um, they were... Mrs. Gore was obviously outraged by the song's very sexually explicit lyrics. She teamed up with Susan Baker, a Republican and the wife of former Secretary of State James Baker, to form the Parents Music Resource Center, the PMRC. Both testified to a Senate committee about children being exposed to sexually explicit lyrics and music. This eventually led the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA, to slap warning labels on music albums deemed inappropriate for children. So the parental advisory sticker Mm -hmm. that's because of this album and a a list of others but uh yeah there i have probably more to say i could probably do a whole podcast about that because that's why i start rolling my eyes because i I won't do too much but i yeah i would think that's a good idea put the parental guidance thing on the thing we have ratings for movies i'm down for that i that's a better alternative to being like no we have to censor Censor this which you shouldn't um but at the same time it's like 
you don't listen to your own to the music before you let your kid listen to it you don't go hey daddy's getting angry i hear it in his voice because it's just it's it's tale as old as time you know back in the 50s it was like comic books are are destroying our children which did uh, lead to a censoring uh um thing self-censoring which is better than uh, the government censoring we got the production code because of bullshit like this um eventually they did figure that out um video games in the 90s the same way it's like mortal Kombat, so violent blah and that did again led to a rating system so it it does eventually lead to something that they should have but just these i mean and to be fair with this situation specifically yeah they should have listened to it first but her heart was in the right place with it she they did come up with the rating system and didn't say it should be censored unlike you know in the 50s it's like this is making our kids gay and so like you know those people were complete assholes and all that and we should and video games are the reason why people shoot up schools like those people are completely dead wrong yes so but at least with this she, her heart was in the right place as ignorant as she is yeah and it's the parents responsibility yeah. to especially mm-hmm. like a 13 year old or she was 11, 11 i'm sorry yeah 11 year old um you know and to be fair like the line isn't like horrible like masturbating with a magazine like okay it's uh, it's nothing like i don't have kids uh, but i probably wouldn't let them listen to something talking about masturbation no and i mean but it's it's not glorifying it it's not using you know there's a lot more graphic terms for masturbation sure i don't want to get into a 20 minute rant of uh, masturbation let's go on urban dictionary <laughs> um but you know it is I mean, does an eleven-year-old usually have enough money to buy an album? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, especially like if you're. She probably went. Oh, my friends love Prince, so I should get Prince. Uh, or she listened to a previous record, and the parents were just like, "Sure, okay," because there wasn't the internet back then. So it's not like today where you can look it up and find out why a movie is rated the way it is, why this song is, or this, you know, why. In back then, or now, I mean, if that song were to come out, there would be uproar on the internet and everybody would hear about, about it. masturbation about the song specifically about and it'd probably blown out of proportion as well so i don't know i think we've become rather, it'd be on fox news well there'd be a, like a whole day's uh-huh. worth of news talking about prince needs to be canceled if you're going to cancel anybody it should be prince yeah but also like this isn't prince's first album and yeah. like i was saying he was even more sexual on like his first two out well not his first two but like you know controversy mm-hmm it's you know head do me baby like those these are songs that came out before so it's like you also let your child listen to this and you didn't know like his other songs they might not have been paying attention to the lyrics before but when you hear the word masturbation that probably perks a few ears up maybe for those of you listening we've used the word masturbate masturbation masturbation Uh, at least a dozen times yes that's a whole all i'm gonna say about that and that's all i had to say about that Lastly, uh, during the production, the director, Albert Magnoli, asked Prince to write one more song that touched on the themes of the film. The following day, Prince had already written the song When Doves Cry, ready to go, fully produced. Which became the big hit of the, of the album. Yes, number one. And, uh, or sorry, did you still have more about that? Um, no, just a little fun fact about that song is that at the last minute before it was like fully mastered and ready to go out, he took the bass track out of that song. So there's no bass line in that song. 
Interesting. I don't know. I don't remember what the reasoning was, but there is no bass track for that song. I never noticed. Yeah. Um, so speaking of performing songs and Purple Rain, probably the most famous performance of that song was in the Super Bowl. I don't remember which year. I should have probably done a little more research, but it's often considered the greatest Super Bowl halftime show of all time was when Prince did it. And when he went out to uh, actually start singing Purple Rain, it literally started to rain. It was 2007. There you go. The morning of the game, I opened the curtains in my hotel room and I was like, oh my God, it was like a scene from Moby Dick. It was like the winds were blowing the palm trees and the rain was one of those Miami rainstorms that just would not relent. We're in this truck sitting behind Don Misher. And I remember Don said, um, put me on the phone with Prince. Don says, now I want you to know it's raining. And Prince is like, yes, it's raining. And are you okay? And Prince is like, can you make it rain harder? And I was like, right on. We were told in 40 years it's never rained in a Super Bowl. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so that went well. We were up in a booth at the top of the stadium, and the rain is pouring into the booth. It was so windy and rainy, we couldn't even see. I was just panicked. Prince was using four separate live electric guitars. The stage was made out of a very slick tile, which, when it got wet, was even more slippery. He had two beautiful dancers with him the twins okay they were wearing i think eight inch heels and i was just saying oh my god what's going to happen now that prince set is so wild he does other people's songs he's not promoting himself he's just making music it's profound and it's loud and it's funky and it's just one performer uh shaking the entire world it felt surprising it felt spontaneous whatever script you might have had in your head for okay here's what he's gonna do he didn't do that musically it felt very loose he played big epic prince style guitar solos you know, turning the bad weather to his dramatic advantage it was almost like a special effect he could totally lean into that and make it seem like sure it's raining of course it's, i would have wanted it to rain like i ordered that by the time we got to the end of the set, when he did do Purple Rain, that was one of those times where things just worked magically and there's nothing you can do but just say thank you. To me, it's about one guy in the middle of 100,000 people and 100 million people on television. And it's your moment to be Prince at the Super Bowl. And Mother Nature is dropping thousands and thousands of gallons of rain. I always thought how cool the guy is to rise up and just get stormed upon and just bring what he brought. That was so special. And yeah, that's definitely my favorite performance. Michael Jackson did it in 93 and that revolutionized halftime shows to be something where you get a big name or at least a couple big names. and. Uh, I think the Michael Jackson one is a lot of fun because he just comes up on stage and he stands there for like two minutes straight and people are just cheering like crazy until he finally starts performing. That's how you command, like, yeah. you know, only Prince and him could command, like, yeah. the audience like that yeah. and just 
sit up there and not do anything for two minutes. Yeah, but I'd highly recommend, especially the Prince one, but Prince and Michael Jackson, watch both of those. But uh, Yeah, I, I fully agree that the um, the Prince halftime show is probably the greatest halftime show. It Just because of what's happening during the, the show, like it's pouring rain he's out there singing purple rain beautiful yeah. voice just beautiful rendition just like it's, it's incredible it's literally li- yeah it's legendary. literally in legendary and uh what did you think of this last ha- halftime show with uh like all the um, i didn't watch it you didn't watch it i thought no, it was pretty but good. it had like dr dre right the dre eminem uh, yeah i didn't Snoop watch Dog. it yeah yeah it was very la yeah based even though they had you know Eminem, who's from Detroit, and other people. Mary J. Blige, I think, is from New York. But, uh, yeah, no, it's a very good one. I'd recommend that one, too. But I was also geeking out because, one, my team was playing, and two, uh, it was all about L.A. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if you wanted to talk about that article I sent you about how what led from this to Prince, or to uh, Batman. I don't really know what led to it. Well, in, in the article, long story short, he did more movies and those print or um like we said purple rain was a big hit and then he started doing more movies in between that and batman and the the movies and the albums were not nearly as big of a hit he did yeah that's what i've he only did uh one under the cherry moon maybe it was just that one which was um a movie that he directed i think I don't think he wrote it, but he definitely directed it, and it was not. And there's really doesn't really have anything to do with music, but it has him and Jerome Benton in it. Here's how it went down. Prince was signed to Warner Brothers, who were more than happy to release both his Purple Rain movie and its accompanying soundtrack in 1984, which kind of contradicts what you said, so this might be all bullshit. What does it say? I'm sorry. It says that uh, Warner Brothers were more than happy to release Purple Rain, the movie, with the soundtrack in 1984. Um, maybe to coincide with the album, maybe, but I think yeah. getting the movie to be made... They were more than happy once it became successful, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, through that project, Prince became the first recording artist to have the number one album, single, and movie in the U.S. at the same time, which I believe you already said that. Um, however, his next multimedia event, 1986's film, Under the Cherry Moon, and its related soundtrack, Parade, flopped. After this, yeah. uh, subsequent albums... Oh, okay, his subsequent albums, uh, Signs of, of the Times, and 1988's Love Sexy were, at best, modest sellers. And Warner Brothers wanted a big hit. Why not have him record a couple of songs for the Batman soundtrack? According to one of the film's producers, Mark Canton, I brought, pr- I brought Prince over to London, and you can just tell his kind of genius was in touch with the movie. By the time we had dinner that, that night, he had three songs in his head. Three weeks later, he had nine songs. See, Prince never did anything half-assed. They asked for a couple of songs. He gave them an entire album. It helped that Prince was huge. I should say was a huge Batman fan, but... A is not there. The feeling was mutual. Tim Burton and Jack Nicholson, in particular, were huge fans of Prince. Is that really what I'm saying? However, that didn't necessarily mean any everyone actually wanted Prince's music in the movie. And then it goes into facts about it specifically, including 
am uh, Tim Burton on wanting to have a minute, but I'm not going to go into that. So yeah, it wasn't that he did multiple movies. He did one movie, and then he had multiple albums that were mm-hmm. modest successes. And then Graffiti Bridge came out in the 90s, which again was not a not a hit. Yeah, which is, I, I mean, I don't know how big a hits the uh, Beatles movies were after uh, Hard Day's Night, but I kind of have a feeling that they weren't the success that Hard Day's Night is. Yeah. So, all right. So let's go into One Star Reviews. So this is from Dennis888. This is from 2017. Utter nonsense. Prince is a valiant singer. And then he has like a forward slash. And that's what he uses to, uh, instead of commas, instead of periods. Virtuoso guitar master, excellent composer, awesome dancer. Eh. <laughs> Incredible showman. One thing he should have never touched upon was acting. He was awful. I just need to accentuate this such way. A W F U L. Terribly silly movie, which is Purple Rain, only gets sillier and worse with every watch, as we cannot but laugh at horrid performances. So he watched it more than once? Apparently. From all the cast, and then scream with delight at each beautifully stupid plot turn. Prince is a real failure here. Miserable actor and poor director. He didn't direct, direct smartass. <laughs> Maybe you should have done some research. You posted on IMDb. This is nothing more than a lengthy, expensive, and glitzy video shoot for his 1984 super hit album of the same name. Vapid, cartooning, one-dimensional, and very bland. So obviously he didn't know the origin of the uh, Purple Rain album. Uh, Which, you know, when you go on a rant like that, you should probably do some research. Yeah. Make sure that you're... Because who knows we're going to read on the air. This is from Jack G. Desmos. This was just last year, last November. Again, one star. Unapologetically horrible. Purple Rain is a strong contender for the worst worst movie I have ever seen. Its dialogue rivals the cringe level of The Room without the charm. So the Tommy Wiseau movie. Mm -hmm. At least one-fourth of the movie is just concert recordings. I have no okay, complaint there. Okay. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm sure Prince was a great performer in his time, but man, he is an awful actor and writer. Oh, he wrote the movie. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he also produced it, edited it, shot it. Yeah. It's a one-man band over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Hup. Two, three, four, exclamation point. This is from 2000, June 13th, 2000. So this should be interesting. Uh, the headline is Purple Schmurple, chop this up into guitar picks and give them to Prince. Or whatever his name is this month. Oh, I because uh, this was during a time where he was like the artist. 2000? Uh, well, I feel like he was out of that phase. But he did, I, I think it was around that time where he switched to just the logo. The love symbol. Love, sure. But uh, how do you promote I, that? I think... <laughs> Can I get tickets to um, that? the love symbol Prince It's thing? the artist formerly known as Prince. That's yeah. what you would call him. Well, yeah, but after that, he went to the symbol. Is, is how I remember, at least. But, you know, you are obviously more of an expert in the, in the subject, so... Anyways, while you look it up, I will uh, finish this. I was forced to see this schlock in 84 when I ran a movie theater, and we found the place trashed every night after the last showing. Adults and intelligent youth beware. 
and those are the uh, reviews I have, which they all seem pretty ignorant, except for the last guy. He uh, seems to have a personal vendetta against it because he worked in a movie theater 16 years before when it came out, and he had a rowdy crowd, and they made it. Yeah, they made it dirty, and he didn't. He blamed Prince for that personally. Yeah. I would probably be a little pissed off myself if uh, every time we got out of a certain movie, it was like that. But that's also part of working in a movie theater, as I know. That nine months I worked there, so. I can't find when he started using Prince again, mm-hmm. um, but he stopped using. He started going by the love symbol in 1993. He stopped being called Prince in 1993. That early? Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So I think by 2000, I think he was back to being Prince. And Kevin Smith even says on the um, on the documentary, whenever he was doing that documentary with him, that he mm. was back to being called Prince. So okay. I think by 2000, he was back to Prince. Maybe he's just referencing that because I, I think do he's remember. just an idiot. Yeah, that too. So let's talk about movies we have seen within the last week. Three of them we saw with each other. Yeah. So we saw... Uh, Top Gun Maverick, which was, uh, I liked it. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. It was too. really good. Um, still really fucking pissed off that we mm-hmm. didn't see it in IMAX because that would have added, I don't know, at least two points of yeah. on the scale just for sheer awesomeness because there's a lot of really great shots, but seeing that in IMAX where it was like... Yeah. Apparently they also filmed it in Screen X, which uh, is the theater where you sit there. It's kind of similar to Cinerama. Oh, where yeah. It's someone was telling me about that. Yeah. I, I've never... I saw like a picture and I was like, what mm. the fuck? I've never seen this before. Yeah, because I went to... I forget what... It was like 40X or something like that uh, for Justice League, the Joss Whedon version. I was just like, oh, this could be fun. And then I saw the movie and I enjoyed it at that time. But it might have been because of experiencing it that way so now i kind of wish i watched something like this where the seats actually moved and it was surrounding us and is there anything like that like the whatever the cinerama type experiences or anything like that in california there is there's one in buena park um but i was looking at it they don't have this movie on the list what is it jurassic park it's probably jurassic park <laughs> fuck off yeah um or it's light year or something like that um yeah so i really enjoyed it as well uh what was cool is the sound was up really loud so yeah. the seats rumbled every time like yeah. Jet took off or whatever. Wherever right. the um, the way that it should be buzzed the tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple dialogue could be cheesy in some parts. You it did was, laugh at a couple times. I was yeah. just like, come on. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't because I was like, it was intentionally supposed to be funny. It was like 80s. unintentionally funny. Yeah. It was just like cheesy delivery. Uh, but overall, I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. People are saying it's better than the original. I say yes. I say yes, just because of the story so much like mm-hmm. tighter and better. But it's like I don't know. But I watched both. I watched the first one. I've seen clips, big chunks of it, you know, on TV my entire life, pretty much. But I actually sat down and watched it a couple weeks ago, and then to watch this so soon afterwards i can definitely say based on no nostalgia whatsoever yeah the new one's better yeah there's more of a story there um jennifer connelly is still gorgeous and a better love interest than uh the last one i think i think they're i think their chemistry is better in this one and a lot of people are saying that too so fight me (laughs) 
yeah, no, I'm not gonna fight you, <laughs> Jennifer Connelly. Uh, I don't know how old she is, but she's probably like mid forties. They're around the same age, but uh, it is funny because Labyrinth came out the yeah, same year. Yeah, she never as ages. Gun, so. She's uh, beautiful. I love her. So imagine the girl from. She's fifty one. Well, now, yeah. But I'm just talking about age difference. Like, what? I'm, I'm, she's married to Paul Bettany. Did you know that? I think so. What a fucking lucky guy. <laughs> um, yeah. So saw that. Um, I also saw Naked Gun for the first time all the way through. I've seen clips of it my entire life, and I was slightly disappointed. But it was funny to see in the end where the angels and mariners have a fist fight, and uh, that literally just happens in real life. <laughs> like one of the biggest like baseball brawls between two teams in a good while. Like a big big brawl. Uh, so it's like funny. A bench clear or whatever. Yeah, and you know the uh, bullpen's empty and like one point uh, because of it one of the uh, pitchers is now out because he hurt his elbow because he there's footage of him like trying to go over the wall from the dugout and just landing face first into uh, the dirt. So he was being a dick. He wasn't <laughs> didn't yeah. get it because he was like fighting. Yeah, man, I was fighting. I fucking elbowed this guy in the head. Like, no, I was trying to jump over a wall and there's, it fell. There's footage of like one of the old men on the I think it's on the Angels like trying to hold back a player and the player from the Mariners going like, what? what are you like get off of me, weird old man? And he's just like, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> and I also watched uh, the Parallax View, which. Uh, Star stars. Uh, I can see his face, Warren Beatty, and uh, it's all about paranoia, and it's very much. It's the same director as uh, All the President's Men, and it's just before All the Pres- President's Men. It's pretty good, but I think it's slightly overrated by all the people on Criterion subreddits that praise it for being great. I enjoyed it. It's just not. I'm gonna call it great. And then we saw last night. We saw Blade Runner and Alien. In 35 millimeter. Yep. At the New Beverly, double feature. Obviously, Ridley Scott. Uh, yeah. No, that was that was great. And I remember I even said this to you last night that after Blade Runner, I was like, I think Blade Runner is my favorite Ridley Scott movie. And then after Alien, I was like, ah, I don't know, man. Yeah. Because they're so. They're, I mean, they're both. It was the final cut and the director's cut. And even though I mean, they're both just under two hours, those cuts. And I think they were both very tight. Like there wasn't a lot of, like, if any filler. Yeah. On both of them. I, so. I agree. And the prints were uh, chef's kiss. Yeah, one was from 2003 and one was from 2007. So they're not the newest prints, but they still look great. They were great. pristine. Yeah. Like, really, really great. And the sound, especially on Alien, was, like, mm. fucking amazing. Very yeah. loud. It, like, really put you in there. The juxtaposition between the silent moments and the loud moments of even just somebody knocking something over or the cat jumping out. And it was so perfect, especially... Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but there were a few jump scares in the movie where people didn't expect yeah. it, and like it was the greatest thing ever. Someone reacted like they were getting, like like he was getting hit, or like that someone grabbed him. Or he was like, that was my favorite part of that movie was just sitting there, and then there was a little bit of jump scare in uh, Blade Runner as well, but just sitting there knowing it was coming. And I haven't seen those movies like a whole lot. I think I've seen each of them like twice. So watching it and. Uh, waiting for people to react was probably one of my favorite parts of the experience in general so yeah <laughs> overall definitely uh, another amazing experience um i've actually only had one like negative experience and ironically it was when i went to go see a midnight screening of purple rain mm. and i almost got into a fist fight with someone really because he was really really drunk and he wouldn't shut the fuck up did he uh, join uh, morris's band 
<laughs> Did you want to fight him because of it? Uh, I don't get it, but... You don't get what my, my reference? No. Did he join Morris's band? Did I say the name? Morris Day? Yeah. Because I... that's when Prince smacks... You know the movie we just talked about? When uh, Apollonia uh, says, I'm joining Morris Day's band, and he smacks her? Got it. I Yeah, I didn't get that reference about that part. No. Anyways... <laughs> That was the only time, and I obviously have anxiety about going into movies and having to deal with... um, Belligerent assholes? Yeah, or just people, like, talking throughout a movie. Like, I'm always, like, when people are talking, like, during a trailer, I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. We're going to have to yell at these people. And nine times out of ten, it's all good. But especially at the New Beverly, because they really care about their movies. Yeah. So. There was a guy saying stuff just enough to make to annoy me but not enough to like somebody's going to complain about him because there was like a few moments where you know something's going to happen he's like uh, oh no and you're just like dude shut the fuck up oh like, one of the funny guys huh yeah no, i don't think he was trying to be funny i just think he just is so unaware of his surroundings that's like nah, yeah probably we, those are inside feelings dude you, you keep those on the in. inside so did you see anything else this last week mm. trust it did i did I see anything this week? Anything else? Oh, you saw a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I don't know what. I don't either. Uh, I finished Police Story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we could talk about that a little bit. I, mean, I do want to do a full episode eventually on Super Cop, and so Police Story and Police Story 2 will be part of that conversation, but we can talk a little bit about Police Story. I noticed that you also sent a video of uh, Jackie Chan, My Stunts. Yeah, the the special features that yeah. are included on there. It's basically like a hour and a half documentary about him, like talking about his stunt process and like yeah, it's so the, cool. It's the weirdest thing because the full thing is like, like I think it's an hour and thirty, but the one that they the version they say an excerpt from it, but if you look at it, it's like just over an hour. So you're like, why didn't you just put the whole thing in there? Then? Yeah. But no, I watched. I don't know if I watched all of it or if I just watched most of it. But I was just like, oh, it's great because it was obviously from like the early two thousands mm-hmm. when we first started really becoming popular with like rush hour and stuff and shanghai noon and stuff like that um but no it's fun he's you know of course he's fun and he explains one of the stunts in police story where with the bus where they all fall out of the bus and they actually miss their mark so a guy like instead of landing on the car in front of it lands on like on the ground the asphalt yeah, yeah. i was just like damn man <laughs> And he's talking about running down that hill and like with the basketball gets, yeah and then of course that last stunt that like put him in the hospital where he jumps down that pole i heard in a i watched a movie or a video about that about jackie chan's most dangerous stunt and they said that he was doing another he was pulling a michael j fox um, back to future family ties thing i don't know if you know that history where he was filming family ties oh yeah about michael j fox yeah Yeah, of course but uh he would film it during the day and then take a nap and then go and film all night take a nap while he was being driven to the back to the future set um jackie chan was doing the same thing same year too uh with police story and another movie that the studio wanted him to make so he directed police story and starred in it of course um so he was doing that and so he was taking i forget what like maybe adrenaline or something whatever he was taking to keep him awake and he does that stunt where he has to slide down that pole and he does it and he has like all these cameras going you know 
And so he's like, well, I can't sit around and wait. I have to do this because it's only got, they only got like a few minutes of a film in each camera right now. So I got to do it. And he just, that's why in the movie he even goes, Hark! Yeah, he, and then yells, he jumps. He works up the courage and he screams and he jumps. It's like nine he stories. down this pole, like with all these yeah. lights. Like, I think he got electrocuted, didn't he? Yeah. While he was going so down like multiple times. He, he jumps into a car to be taken to the next thing and he goes to like open a door and that's where the drugs kind of like, kind of wore, wore off and he realized, oh, I can't use my hands now. And so he was taken to a hospital for a few days because, yeah, he got electrocuted. He got, you know, whatever degree burns on his hand. So, yeah, that was, that's insane. And if he missed that, that pole, no Jackie Chan. Yeah. <laughs> so. But other than that, the transfer, it looks amazing. Yeah. It's not even a 4K transfer, but it looked amazing. Um, I had never seen the movie. It's kind of like Purple Rain in the way that it's like <laughs> over the top, like cheesy, like yeah, acting and stuff like that. I the, the the all the police story movies, the first three that I've seen, because they're like oh. I mentioned before, they're like a well, dozen. All of his them. movies are kind of the same, like that, and like Rumble yeah. in the Bronx, like they all have like comedic moments where he's like oh yeah doing like being overwhelmed by stuff or whatever but he's a very good like comedic actor as well but i mean the fight scenes are just incredible and like yeah. people like flying through windshield and doing flips on the ground just like his stunt team yeah like everybody is, like, the best of the best everybody in the movie is pretty much a stunt person because like everybody even the women i mean that sounds sexist but the women that are supposed to be like, like in the movie in the context of the movie they're these like girlfriends like these, frail yeah and then they still get thrown around there's one stunt where she tries to take off on the motorcycle or the the scooter and he's holding onto her backpack and so she stays while the motorcycle yeah, takes off he pulls her back um but i was saying that they're very much like 80s yeah action movies but like i really Arnold. enjoyed it um yeah, it was great. I'm excited to see Police Story 2. Yeah. Uh, it's not as good as the first one, but it's still got, especially as far as stunts go, it's got some great stunts in it. So it's, it's. I can't think of a Jackie Chan movie. Well, yeah, I can think of a few Jackie Chan movies I saw that I didn't like, like Rush Hour 3. I was super disappointed. <laughs> but, yeah. So I think that brings us to our homework, or your homework for next week. Yeah. Um, I've always intended for us to do more than what we've been doing. Uh, so far, we've done you know the, the interviews with people to uh, their top ten. We did our own top five list, and I do want to do more top five, top ten lists in the future. Uh, and we've also done the the recommending movies for each other. But uh, per an idea I've had, and per our momager's uh, uh, idea, or well, what's the word I used? Suggestion advice advice per the advice of our momager tressa um it's time to introduce a new category movies we love uh so we're going to do that next week it's going to be a movie that we've both seen and that i know that we both love uh and home alone no but december (laughs) so i thought it would be fitting to do the movie that we've probably mentioned in every episode also it's uh in my top 10 list i think it's one of the greatest movies of all time and also we've talked about the 50s we've talked about the 60s twice we've talked about the 80s today we've talked about the 90s twice we've talked about the 20 aughts three times and we even talked about the 2010s so i think it would be fitting to do a movie from the 70s and i contemplated between godfather or this movie uh and i chose this movie obviously since i haven't said the name it's martin scorsese's 1976 masterpiece taxi driver Call 
De Niro. In Bang the Drum Slowly, the critics called him a brilliant new talent. After Mean Streets, they said he was a genius. For his performance in The Godfather Part II, they gave him the Academy Award. Come on, man. Just get me out of here, all right? Now, Robert De Niro creates a terrifying portrait of life on the edge of madness. Tabby, just forget about this. It's nothing. Taxi Driver, a film by Martin Scorsese. So next week, we will be talking about Taxi Driver, the movie Trevor saw when he was in the single digits. Uh, and we'll talk about, me for life. We'll talk about how it fucked him up. And uh, it's available on Netflix and the TCM app, the Turner Classic Movie app. So definitely uh, check those out before watching because we will talk about everything. And we'll try not to just completely gush over the movie, but... No promises. No promises. Uh, so thank you for listening to us. Yes, thank you for listening to me rant about Prince for three hours. Um, as you can tell, it's a subject that I am extremely interested in, and there's a lot. There's even more that we didn't go over with the story, but you get the um, the basic understanding of the you know what was going on at the time and what was in prince's mind and him as an artist and all that so hopefully that was enjoyable and if you learned something that you didn't know uh make sure to smash that like button. yeah smash that like button and subscribe um <laughs> i fucking hate when people say that um but i will say if you could uh if you did like this episode and you haven't already if you could give us a five star uh review slash rating on your podcast listening application of your choice that would i know for sure we can do you can do it on apple and yes. spotify yeah i don't know about the other so if you're listening on one of those and you haven't already and you appreciate appreciated this episode or you just love prince even if you hate us give us a five-star review um that would be really great and if you could go even further and actually write a review for us that would be amazing as well because we love reading them Mm -hmm. on apple Podcasts. yeah even if it's bad we still want to hear what you think we do and that's all i got thank you for listening appreciate you very much so yeah make sure to uh Follow us on the uh, social media. Sorry, hold on, I'm going to interrupt really quick. I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the episode. Um, Rick uh, gave us, we. this is our segment, Rick, Rick Review. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Rick emailed us and said, Two movies that were on Keaton's list, Drive and Django, which he hadn't seen. Loved both of them. Gave both a nine. Also, Hateful Eight was mentioned. Loved it also and gave it an eight. Still enjoy listening after 13 podcasts. Thanks, Rick. Uh, thank you for listening, Rick. We yeah. appreciate you very much. Yeah, we appreciate anybody who listens. And I hope, who, I hope you can watch Purple Rain. Yeah. I hope it's not too much for you. Anybody who can be interactive with us is especially... What? not gonna watch it <laughs> says you're not gonna watch it rick i'll try to get you to watch it just for drama man <laughs> um, so you can follow us on instagram at cinephilia podcast on twitter and tiktok at cinephilia pod you can uh, email us cinephilia pod at gmail.com or you can follow me on instagram or letterboxd uh at e-y-e-o-p-e-n-i-n-g which is eye-opening experience, or my Instagram is as the sun sets. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's all. So thank you again for listening. Have a great night. 
And or day. Yeah, and may you may you live to see the dawn. That's good, any, huh? Okay. No, you just ruined it. I, I didn't. I wasn't say anything afterwards because. Oh, I was, why you, know, you just cut that out? Uh, okay. Bye. Bye.